Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to the empty net, wide, two seconds to go. Bring out the Zamboni. The Blues hang on and they beat the Dallas Stars, two to one. What a great win tonight. That's what it sounded like the other night as the St. Louis Blues come away with a victory against who the hell they play? The Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars alongside Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're broadcasting live from the NB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Bradford Bruns doing great work for us back in the studio. He and the producers had a fantastic producer party today, Alex. Uh, it was a party I wanted to be a part of. It's going to be hard to follow that up, but we will do our best. And we begin with the St. Louis Blues, who are back in action tonight. Alex all dressed up, which means that it is a game at the Enterprise Center. Alex, yeah, yeah. they are taking on the Colorado Avalanche. And Colorado has gone through a weird stretch of games lately. Alex, in the last month, the Blues and the Avs have basically been the same team. The Blues in the last month are seven and six. The Avalanche in that stretch, six, five, and three. The Blues actually have a slightly better points percentage in the last month than Colorado does. If you're looking at the goals per game and goals allowed per game, they're basically the same. These two teams have been a mirror image of one another in this stretch of games. Now, Colorado is a more talented team. They have much higher expectations than the Blues. So while we're talking about, hey, Blues got to get back on track with this stretch behind them. The Avs are doing the opposite. They are talking about how they need to have more compete. They are talking about how things are not going in the right direction right now. Nationally, pundits are talking about how they need to make a big move to instill a little bit of confidence within that group. Alex, what are the Blues going up against tonight? What kind of a team are we expecting them to go up against? Well, I think they're going to go up against a pissed-off team, first of all. Anytime you blow a four-goal lead, uh, you expect that team to come out with a lot more attitude the following game. So that's going to be the first big thing. But what we're seeing with Colorado is a team that we're seeing a lot around the National Hockey League, a really good team with their forward group and defensive group, but a team that lacks goaltending. And their goaltender has been abysmal this year. Like, Georgiev has been... A player who, although he's playing in a ton of games and he's winning games, it's solely because of his team in front of him. This is a guy that's got like an 890, 870 save percentage, something like that. So 
this is a team that, of course, they're led by their stars. McKinnon, they've got Rantanen, Nachushkin's back to normal form. Kale McCarr, who's been in and out of the lineup, but he's also still a point-per-game player. Minus 10 in their last uh, – in his last nine month. games, he's played. Yeah. they've played 14 in that stretch. It, but in the last month, he's a minus 10. It's a team that's losing – the strength that is their ability to limit the other team's offensive zone time. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, you've got, as Devon Taves kind of called his team out, you've got guys that might not play up to the Colorado Avalanche expectations. And some of these guys are new players that they had to bring in because, of course, you can't keep everybody when they all get to be expensive and when you don't have Gabriel Landeskog. But I think more than anything, Colorado's a team that doesn't have a goaltender. And I think that could be an opportunity for the Blues to go out there once again and put it on Colorado. Now, again, Colorado's coming in as a pissed-off team, but I think the Blues are coming in also as a confident team. And I would take a confident team over a pissed-off team any day of the week, especially if that pissed-off team isn't confident in their goaltender. I don't know what to expect out of Colorado. They they have the, the vibes of a team that is on the brink of going one direction or the other. And if this thing starts going in the wrong direction, Alex, do you think that Bednar is like potentially on the way out? Is that the next move? Is a trade the next move? What do they do? Because this is a team that's supposed to be in its Stanley Cup window right now. Oh, yeah. And these things don't stay open, as, as we know here in St. Louis as well as anybody. They don't stay open as long as you think that they do because you're going to have a core group of players that either ages out or prices itself out of Colorado. Now, you're still going to have McKinnon. You've got McCarr. You've got Landeskog when he gets healthy again. You've got Ranton, and you've got some of these guys that are locked up for the long haul. But, man, injuries come into play here. Like, you you just never know when you're going to get that opportunity again. So, while you have it, you have to go for it. So, they're in that right now. That's what they're trying to maintain. What's the next move if it doesn't get back in the right direction? You know, I would say that I, you don't fire Jared Bednar, but I also said you don't fire Craig Berube and look what right. happened. So, yeah, I, I think if you're Joe Sackick, the next move is going out to make a trade. But here's the question. What are you trading for? Sure, you can go out there and get an Elias Lindholm and tighten up defensively, but, I, I mean, you still have some of the best top six in at least the Western Conference, in my opinion. And they're playing hurt still because they don't have uh, Lekkinen, who's been out for a little bit of stretch of time. You've brought in Ross Colton. You can make that trade, but I don't know if that makes a difference. You could fire Jared Bednar, but, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of a spark. But this team is solely dedicated and predicated off of their top players being their top players. Yep. And right now, McKinnon's doing it. Rantanen, although he's got 17 points in 14 games, he's a minus 6. Kale McCarr, you mentioned, is a minus 10. Devon Taves, who they just paid all their money to, is a minus 6. This is the... the not the exact same situation, but this is the same situation that the Blues just had, where it's like, oh, I guess we got to do something because our players aren't playing up to their potential, so we got to make a firing. I don't think you fire Jared Bednar if you're Colorado. What you do is you make a significant trade. The problem is there's nobody really out there that screams will turn Colorado around. The only way you turn Colorado around is if all of these guys that are playing 21, 22 minutes a night start performing up to their level of expectation. So that's the opposition for the Blues tonight. Not good vibes for Colorado. Alex, this is an opportunity for the Blues to be able to go out there and build some momentum. And I was wondering, what do you do in net if you're trying to build that momentum? Do you go back to Joel Hofer, who was really good the other night? Do you turn to Jordan Bennington, who, despite a recent slide, has been good for the vast majority of the season? It has been announced, according to Matthew DeFranks, 
Jordan Bennington is the first goalie off the off the ice today for the Blues at their optional skate. So it, it is expected to be at least yeah. Jordan Bennington in net tonight for the Blues. Are you surprised at all by that decision? No, I'm not. Not disappointed, but surprised. No, I'm really not because I could have seen it go either way. I, I mean, if it's me, I probably would have gone right back to Joel Hofer because he's just playing with a hot hand right now. But I understand what Drew Bannister's doing. It's the exact same thing he did following Joel Hofer's game against the Florida Panthers. You put him out there and try and get the good vibes going for him. It didn't work in terms of the save percentage, but it worked in terms of the win for Jordan Bennington against Chicago. This is the same situation. Look, Jordan Bennington's numbers against the Colorado Avalanche are really good, so that's part of the reason you're probably going to this, but you got to get Bennington going. I mean, we've talked a lot about Joel Hofer looking well, and this is the slump that happens with Bennington, but let's be honest. If Bennington stays in this slump for a long period of time, I'm not sure if you're going to be a playoff team because he's going to have to steal you some games, True. just like Joel Hofer has had to steal you some games. So this is a good game to put him in following a Joel Hofer performance where you expect him to come out with that compete. It doesn't surprise me. I would have gone the other way, but it doesn't surprise me. You know what I hadn't thought about, and maybe this is the perspective that Drew Bannister is taking with this. I like that Joel Hofer is playing with confidence right now. What's the best way to keep that up? Is it by going out there and seeing Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and uh, Rantanen in this game against Colorado? Or is it going up against Pittsburgh tomorrow night? Which one is the better opportunity for Hofer to maintain what he has built? Honestly, it doesn't matter in my opinion because both teams are a tough opponent. Like Colorado tonight, you're going to have a very pissed off team coming in. Uh, but Pittsburgh's playing some really good hockey right now. And Sidney Crosby's a, a, a monster at this point of the season. So I think Joel Hofer was going to get a challenge to where the confidence stays That's up fair. either way. I, I think that you've got a bigger challenge by going up against Colorado, personally, as a goaltender. This is the more important one, too, if you're the goaltender. Like, you know you need these two points over that Pittsburgh game. Yeah, and so the reason why I bring that up is because maybe it's a situation where he says, hey, Benner's been in these spots before. It's not going to crush his confidence if he goes out there and gives up four goals. If Hofer does, he knows the importance of this game. He just had a really great game, and he follows it up with a little bit of a clunker. Let's give him an opportunity to go up against Pittsburgh. It's not like you're going up in that one against you know Buffalo or one of the lesser teams. Uh, San Jose would be a better uh, example yeah. of this. But it, I believe to be a slightly weaker opponent, you don't have the same level of firepower on the opposition. The power play isn't quite what Colorado's at least has the potential to be so I, I don't mind it from that perspective I am a little surprised though I did think that he would go back to Joel Hofer because I think Joel Hofer earned that opportunity I think what you'll see though is these next two games will determine who gets that opportunity against Vancouver next Thursday I think whoever plays better tonight oh, and yeah. tomorrow between those two guys, I think that is the one that should start in net against Vancouver because that is another huge game that will be taking place next yeah, week. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe when you get into January, you have any back-to-backs until later in the month of pulling Yeah, the up. next one is the 23rd and 24th. And, I mean, you've got some time off, like three days off before that Vancouver game. You'll have two days off before Florida. You'll have two days off in between before that Capitals game. So you really could see – a sustained run for one goaltender here. Now, I don't think it will be because you need both guys, but if let's just say Jordan Mennington struggles tonight and Joel Hofer plays well against Pittsburgh, it would not surprise me if you get a Joel Hofer versus Vancouver versus Carolina and then Bennington gets a Florida Panthers game and then you go right back to Joel Hofer. Like, at this point, you need, and just the way that Drew Bannister talked about, like, you need to find out what this team is against hard opponents, a hard schedule, and it's going to tell you what goaltender you're going to have to ride there for a little bit. And again, not a bad thing, but if you get a gem by Jordan Bennington and Joel Hofer performs well, 
Well, then it gets a little bit more interesting of what you decide to do. And again, maybe you get to a one-two punch there. In this stretch, it comes down to picking up points and making up ground in the playoffs and in this Western Conference. Somebody on the text line also mentions that Jordan Bennington in his career has done a good job of going up against Colorado as well. So maybe that's something that went into it. I mean, um, I mean, recent like he's got a 901 save percentage in his career, but that takes into account that that one year against Colorado where they got bounced in the first round. But like in the last three seasons, I believe or two seasons, he's got like a 930 save percentage. So that's also what you take yeah. into consideration. So maybe there's a little bit of that as well. Some of some more familiarity going up against this opponent. The Blues are back in action tonight against the Colorado Avalanche. It looks like it's going to be Jordan Bennington in net. I would assume that means Joel Hofer for the Blues tomorrow. They've got a back-to-back situation. Home tonight, road tomorrow at Pittsburgh. Alex will have your pregame coverage tonight starting at 6 o'clock right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we got to react to what we saw last night. Joe Flacco, Alex, not only should he be the leading contender right now for comeback player of the year, I think he should be altering the future plans for the Cleveland Browns. I'll explain why coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next... There was news of a retirement yesterday, Alex, and I want to get the thoughts of our audience on if they would sign up for a current Cardinals player to have a career that mirrors this player that retired yesterday. We'll tell you who that is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I absolutely love Mason Wynn. This is a extreme competitor, and he does not scare. Um, he, he got knocked around a little bit offensively, and he handled it for his age. He handled it so well. When you have that type of competitive nature and you don't scare and you continue to just attack the way Mason does, uh, you have a good player on your hands. That was Ollie Marmel at the winter meetings talking about what he's anticipating from Mason Wynn the upcoming season. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center, we have the great Bradford Bruns back in studio for us today. So you guys can anticipate some fantastic Sports Center updates at the bottom of the hour. But Alex, there was some news yesterday. I don't know if he's going to have this in his update or not, but Andrelton Simmons officially retired from Major League Baseball. Now, this has been a long time coming. Andrelton Simmons Whoa. did not play in Major League Baseball this past season. He only played 34 games in the big leagues in 2022. So we haven't seen much of Andrelton Simmons really since the end of the 2021 season. But there was a point in time, Alex, not all that long ago, where I considered Andrelton Simmons to be the best defensive player in all of Major League Baseball. I didn't think there was anybody that was as dominant as him. I thought there was a point in time, five, six, seven years ago, where Andrelton Simmons would have been a hell of a player for the Cardinals to acquire, frankly, because I would have loved to have seen him with his defensive wizardry playing in front of a ground ball pitching staff that they have here in St. Louis. The Cardinals had Paul DeYoung, so you couldn't go after him. Of course. My question to you. And my question to the audience, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I also put up a poll on Twitter, at BK Sports Talk. Would you sign up today for Mason Wayne to have a career that mirrors the career of Andrelton Simmons? Now, for those that aren't familiar with his resume, Andrelton Simmons was a three-time gold glover, but don't let that get in the way of how great he was defensively. Andrelton Simmons, over the 10 years in which he played in Major League Baseball, led all of baseball with 200 defensive runs saved. He averaged 20 defensive runs saved 
per season in his major league career. He was unbelievable with the glove. There is another side of the ball, though. Offensively, he was slightly below league average. Did not have a lot of pop. Had a 365 slugging percentage. Was a 263 hitter and got on base about 31% of the time. So didn't walk a lot. Didn't strike out a lot. Had an okay batting average, but not a whole lot of power. His value to his teams came almost exclusively from his glove. So, Alex, if I said there's a button that you can press right now, and if you press it, Mason Wynn will have the next 10 years of his career that resembles what the first 10 years of uh, Andrelton Simmons' career were, or you can press your luck and say, you know what, I'm good. I hope that Mason Wynn can be better than what Andrelton Simmons was overall in his career. Are you pressing the button or are you pressing your luck? I'm pressing the button because I don't know what more upside you're hoping for with Mason Wynn. I don't think the offense gets much better than what Angelton Simmons was. Like, I know he was a really good hitter in the minor leagues, but that sometimes doesn't play at the major league level. And, I mean, I'm just looking at Angelton Simmons, and I always remember him from the defense. I don't really remember much about the offense, which makes sense. But, like, I am also looking at somebody who, in about four or five of his 11 years play major league baseball – was an above-average hitter at the major league level and actually a really competent hitter, somebody yeah. who was hitting close to 300, an OPS that was getting closer to 750, 800. So if you're telling me I got little spurts of that with Mason Wynn, but overall he's going to have probably a league average, maybe a little below league average offense, but I'm getting gold glove defense every single season, and I've got the speed factor, and he's a gamer, which you heard Ali Marmol mention. Yep. I, I don't know what else I'd be hoping he turns into, if I don't hit that button. And so, yeah, I- I'm going to hit that button right away. I think the hope is that he can be better offensively than this, but I I don't know that I need him to be. And I think there's a pretty like a, a pretty great chance, honestly, that he doesn't have a career as impressive as Andrelton Simmons. I think people always underestimated him because he was stuck in L.A. since the Angels being what they were. But I thought Andrelton Simmons was a really good and a really valuable Major League Baseball player. If you've got this guy at shortstop, I never have to worry about that spot. For the next decade, I've just got it taken care of, and I can fix everything else around it. And the other thing that it allows you to do is, if there's a slight slip in defense from Nolan Arenado, this helps make up for that. If there is a first baseman who is not quite as good over there defensively as Paul Goldschmidt, well, Andrelton Simmons, slash Mason Wynn in this situation, makes that guy better at his job because of how excellent he is defensively at shortstop. I still believe, even today, there is real value in a defense-first athletic shortstop. That doesn't mean that you don't want other guys around the diamond that are hitting, but the Cardinals have a lot of dudes that hit, man. Maybe if you have a defensive shortstop that is as impressive as Andrelton Simmons was, it allows you to continue playing Brendan Donovan and or Nolan Gorman at second base on a day-to-day basis. So, I would hit the button with some serious quickness, man. I know that I'm leaving a lot to be desired when it comes to what you're getting offensively at a shortstop. Fine. I'll figure that out in my outfield. I'll hope that we can get a little more out of Lars Newbar. I'll hope that the star power that you are expecting to see out of Jordan Walker, you start to get a little bit of that. I will hope that you get a career renaissance this year from Nolan Arenado and or Paul Goldschmidt. I'll hope that they don't do anything with Nolan Gorman and he becomes a 40 home run hitter and makes up for the lack of power and the lack of average that I'm getting from that nine hole hitter from my shortstop. There is a way to win at the highest level in this league 
with guys that are defense first players. The Houston Astros have proven that, man. They had Martin Maldonado as their catcher in recent seasons. That guy was the worst hitter in the sport. And they were still able to make up for it because of how much depth they had in their lineup around him. So if I could sign, if I could hit a button right now, I'm locking it in. We are not necessarily, Alex, in the vast majority of Cardinals fans, though. According to this poll that I've put up, and it's early. It's only a few hundred votes so far. It's about 55-45. 55% of the fans would lock this in, and 45% of the fans say they're hoping for more. What are people hoping for from Mason Wood? Would be my, my question. question. That's mine. Uh, because, like, if I come up with other shortstop comps, like Rafael for call, maybe, but I don't know if the offense is ever going to be at the consistent level that for call was in the early portion of his season. And then towards the back end, you were really relying on his defense at a lot of times. But in terms of shortstops, the position is so different than what it used to be because it used to be where, yeah, it was all about defense and you really didn't care much about the offense. But now it seems the shortstop position is all about offense. Like you think of the Carlos Correa's. Now I know Trey Turner provides some really good defense there, but I, I, I just you've built this team so much to, to have offense and, and have it in a plethora that the only thing I really care about at that shortstop position is give me gold glove defense and just be average at the offensive level. And I think Andrelton Simmons is probably one of the best in that category. Do you think Cardinals fans would have signed up for a shortstop that was a 10-plus time gold glover and in his career was about 13% below league average in the 80s? Probably. Because that was Ozzie Smith. Yeah. Ozzie Smith, I would say for a decent portion of our fan or our listeners right now, was their favorite Cardinals player growing up. And yet when presented the opportunity, and I'm not saying that Andrelton Simmons defensively is as good as Ozzie Smith was. I'm not sure that anybody has ever been as good defensively at the position as Ozzie Smith was. But he's probably the closest thing we've seen in the last 15, 20 years of that position to Ozzie Smith. And offensively, they were almost identical to one another in terms of what they produced at the plate. Are people saying now that they would not want the modern day version of Ozzy? Are, are we now there? Have we gone so far in the opposite direction of valuing offense over defense that if you were presented the opportunity today to lock in Ozzy Smith at shortstop with 60%, let's say of the defense, 70% of the defense, whatever you want to call it, you wouldn't do that. Because I would, man. I would. And I would just assume that, okay, I know what I'm getting production-wise there from that spot. And what it does, Alex, when you have that, where you know, okay, I'm going to be a below-average offensive player at short. Now I can build my team with the knowledge that I've got a defense-first player there. Okay, what does that mean for the rest of my lineup? I think a big part of what's gone wrong for the Cardinals in recent years is that they don't know what they're getting from certain players. You look in the outfield and you're like, I don't know if we're playing the offense first players out there or the defense first players out there. And depending on what we do, it completely alters what we want to do around them. When you look at the rotation, you're like, I don't know if we're going to have guys that are striking players out or if we're going to have a ground ball pitching staff. And again, that alters what you're trying to do with the rest of your lineup. When you have a guy like this in your lineup every single day for the next decade, you know exactly what you're getting. And so it allows you to adjust accordingly around him. 
I think that has been something that has been missing from this team. They have gone with hope instead of a plan at certain positions as their strategy. And if you know what you're getting out of Mason Wynn and he becomes Andrelton Simmons and I can just lock that in, I'm doing it. Let me let me go let me go through these for you. And you just tell me, and fans do it as well. Would you rather have Andrelton Simmons over the player that the Cardinals had this year? Brendan Ryan in two thousand and ten. Pretty sure you'd rather have Andrelton Simmons. Than Brendan Ryan? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Cesar Torres, Ryan Terrio, Rafael Furcal, Pete Cosma. Johnny Peralta, I could probably hear the argument because you yeah. got incredible offense from him, but the second year it wasn't there. Aledmus Diaz, and then you went from 2017 until 2023 with Paul DeYoung. And, but other than two years, Paul DeYoung was always, I don't know what I'm getting this year. Whereas Andrelton Simmons, you knew exactly what you were getting. And, I mean, this has been for almost 10 years, over 10 years, of not knowing what that position was going to provide you, whereas... Really, the last guy that you had that was locked in there was Renteria. No, David Eckstein. I mean, I, I'd argue Eckstein, David Eckstein. Yeah. And so I looked at But David. a multi-year, like, long-term plan. Yeah, I mean, it was Renteria. Renteria you had there for six years, yep. and then prior to that, it was the Ozzie Smith that went, however, 15, between yeah. 82 to 94. And, I mean, I just looked at David Eckstein's numbers, and, and I mean... He's I, this. He's exactly what this is. Now, better batting average of what Andrelton Simmons was just on a consistent basis, but you're getting better defense from an Andrelton Simmons over a David Eckstein. So I just – you're so high on all of this this elite potential offense in your outfield and your corners and with second base and what you use at DH and with your catcher position. Man, if you could just tell me for the next six years – I got a dude who I know what he's going to do every single day, and the offense might go up and might go down, but at least the defense is going to be there. That's what we did with Yachty for however long we went. So yep. I just I don't know what else Cardinals fans would be hoping for with Mason Wynn. People would take Jeremy Pena, right? Like if I just told you, hey, you can have Jeremy Pena as your shortstop next year. If you ask that question prior to his breakout season in the World Series, I think people would say, who's Jeremy Pena? I, I mean, he was one of the top prospects in the sport, but fair. Um, Jeremy Pena last year in 150 games as the shortstop for the Houston Astros, who were pretty good from what I remember, uh, was 4% below league average offensively. He got on base 32% of the time and slugged below 385. That is essentially the production that we're talking about here over the course of his career from Andrelton Simmons. Uh, C.J. Abrams, one of the top prospects in the sp sport, was 10% below league average offensively last year. Uh, Orlando Arcio was the starting shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. I just think people overestimate what most of these teams are getting out of their shortstop position. And the other thing that I think changes things for the Cardinals and what they need out of their shortstop is that they are getting elite-level production from their second base as well. And if you have that production at second, it makes up for some slippage that you may potentially have at shortstop. I would lock this in, man. I would lock it in as quickly as I possibly could. I understand there are differing perspectives on how you can build a baseball team. I think we have gone a little too far, though, in the direction of if I can't have a guy like Andrelton Simmons or Ozzie Smith, et cetera, in my lineup, I think we are, we're creating teams that aren't necessarily winning clubs. If you're asking for too much offensively and not enough defensively, especially at that position, uh, I, th I think you're going to be left wanting more. All right, coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Alex, should Joe Flacco now be considered the favorite for NFL comeback player of the year? And if you're the Browns and this is what you're seeing with Joe Flacco at quarterback, does it change the way that you approach Deshaun Watson, not just for the rest of this season, but for years to come? We'll talk about that all in NFL quick hitters next year on 101 ESPN.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters with Alex and Bradford. I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, the Browns get a big win last night. No surprise, but they put up big numbers once again. And this time they do so against the New York Jets, a defense that had been considered to be one of the best in the NFL prior to the last couple of weeks. And Joe Flacco goes out there and shreds them apart because, of course, of course he does. 310 yards, averaged more than 10 yards per attempt. He did this, by the way, without Amari Cooper on the field, who was hurt last night. Three touchdowns, a pick, only took one sack, had a quarterback rating over 120. Alex, over in Vegas, they now have Joe Flacco at basically even money to win the Comeback Player of the Year award this season. The favorite all season had been DeMar Hamlin. Now, I know this is a sensitive subject because DeMar Hamlin, we all know the story of what took place with him on the field last year. Him playing football at all is an unbelievable comeback story. But for me, Joe Flacco is my comeback player of the year, dude. This guy came off of the couch. He was chilling out home with his family eating gorditas. And now he's out there going out there and shredding the New York Jets on a team that is contending. He seems like a Chalupa kind of guy. You think? Yeah, he seems like a Chalupa guy. I could see that. Um, Joe Flacco, to me, is your comeback player of the year. I would have him as the overwhelming favorite, despite what I know is an amazing story with DeMar Hamlin. I wouldn't, actually. Um, And and I know DeMar Hamlin probably would. Mine would be Baker Mayfield. Oh, okay. And, And I get that. Joe Flacco was eating gorditas on the couch or chalupas, whoever you think he is, but he was a backup quarterback last year. And so he was doing the same workouts. And I could say the same thing about Baker Mayfield. And, I mean, he went through two different teams last year where he was a starter and then he was a starter for the Rams. But, I mean, like if you – the problem with me for Joe Flacco is, and I understand the comeback player, but he's only played five games. And Tamar Hamlin's only played in five games as well. I know uh, yours is the Baker yeah. Mayfield side. And that's but. why I would pick Baker Mayfield. like Because when I look, like Geno Smith got it last year. When I look at the comeback player of the year, I'm thinking of somebody who didn't have a role last year and then stepped into a role and, and actually ran with it. And I mean, he took a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, although I know they got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. They got a great defense. But he threw 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions so far this season for Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay is going to be a playoff team. And Joe Flacco has played five games. Now he's been impressive, but I, I just I think if we're going to name a comeback player of the year, mine would go to, to Baker Mayfield for what he's done. And I think Joe Flacco would be second in that conversation. But, again, I understand the story and the narrative. If anybody deserves it, it's probably DeMar Hamlin. That's fair. Um, I, I just like – DeMar Hamlin has played 17 snaps defensively this year. Yeah. I I, I think that's more of the... I know what it is. They're going to do it for a made-for-TV moment. And I get it. I'm not even necessarily pushing back because I don't have the heart to do it. But 
Like, if we're just making this something where we're like, hey, congratulations, Damar, you played football again. Cool. I I'm totally fine with that. I almost feel like it should be a separate category where Damar Hamlin, like, there's a new award that is named after him of, like, the Perseverance Award or something like that. that in the NHL. Right? Like, that that's the kind of thing that I think he is deserving of. Did he come back from something? Of course he did, yes. But he also has barely played this season. He's been inactive for the vast majority of the year. He's been one of their healthy scratches for most of the year. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I do find that to be... I just think if uh, it's a hard thing to say because of what happened to him on the field. And I'm I'm not pushing back against that. But if we're actually rewarding the guy that has earned it based on their on-field performance, to me, it, it is Joe Flacco or Baker Mayfield. And I think you could actually make a case for Tua as well in this category. Yeah, I just for me, like the comeback player of the year has got to be somebody who plays the full season. Like, I, I think it's got to be somebody who's been there from start to finish and made a comeback. And I just don't think it can be a small sample size. Next thing up, as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Alex, I've got two questions for you on Joe Flacco, big picture. Okay. One, is he a Hall of Famer in your mind? And does that answer change depending on what he does for this team in the playoffs? Two, how does his performance this year alter, if at all, your plans with Deshaun Watson moving forward? Oh, it alters my plans dramatically to answer your second question first. Now, I don't know what the penalty is for Cleveland, and I don't know what – I'm not coming back with Deshaun Watson next year. I don't even know if I'm coming back with Joe Flacco next year, but this basically proved to me that I can go find another quarterback better than Deshaun Watson. And they're away from the off-ice stuff – off-ice, off-field stuff. I, I mean, the – the guy like you never know what you're going to get it's the same thing that we've talked about with Tyler O'Neill like is he hurt does he want to play does he not want to play I'm not going to deal with that if I'm the Cleveland Browns I've got a small window to start winning and I need to win fast and Deshaun Watson has not been able to accomplish that for me in two years Joe Flacco free freaking steps in for five games and makes me look like I can win a Super Bowl I'm not coming back with Deshaun Watson I don't know what the penalty is I don't know what takes place he's got to be a backup you can't cut him so, so he's your team. Cool. He's, on, he's got a guaranteed contract. Yep. You cannot cut him. He's on your team long term. But you, you I'm the, with you. You screwed the pooch then, Cleveland. Like, you shouldn't have made that trade. And now I'm going to find somebody else who can do it. Let's stick on this for a second. I want to get your thoughts on Flacco as the Hall of Famer as well. Um, I'm moving on. Yeah. And by that, I don't mean I'm cutting him. You come practice, hang out, do your thing. You're my backup quarterback now. Be your hype man. I'm looking at Russell Wilson. I'm looking at Jacoby Brissett. I'm looking at Joe Flacco. I'm looking at veteran quarterbacks that can be caretakers for me. I'm looking at taking a quarterback in the first round this year. Let me see what that looks like as well. I might do two of those things. Bring in Jacoby Brissett or Russell Wilson, who's going to make nothing next year because he's making all of his money from the Broncos, I would assume. Um, I'm looking at one of the veterans plus bringing in a draft pick. And I'm, I'm ready to move on mentally from Deshaun Watson right now. He has not been good enough, man. You are a better team at every turn when he is put on the bench. Last year, Jacoby Brissett was better than Deshaun Watson. This year, Joe Flacco has been better than Deshaun Watson was. Forget all of the off-field stuff. We don't even have to talk about that with Deshaun right now. The on-field production has not been good enough, and you have a team that is deserving of more than what Deshaun Watson is able and capable of bringing to the table right now. Yeah. On Flacco. Yeah. Do you think he's a, already a Hall of Famer? And if he wins a Super Bowl this year, he goes in deep into the playoffs with this team. Do you think that changes your answer to that question? I don't. 
I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's a Hall of really, really good. And, and two Super Bowls are going to say different to a lot of people. But, like, I, I'm looking at his career numbers, and he was never the best at anything in any season. Like, he was never the most touchdowns thrown, the least amount of interceptions. He was always kind of a an average guy. And if you look at those rosters that he played with, especially in Baltimore, like, I don't think of Joe Flacco and the Baltimore Ravens when they won the Super Bowl. I think of Ray Lewis when they won that Super Bowl. So, I mean, maybe if he goes out there and just dominates this postseason and throwing touchdown after touchdown, I, I think Joe Flacco is going to be one of those guys that you say, damn, remember how good he was? But I don't think you're going to sit there and say Hall of Famer Joe Flacco. I think you're probably right. But then why do we view Eli Manning as a Hall of Famer? I don't. Okay. <laughs> He's going to get in, though. We know that, right? Yeah, because but. if you look at yards per attempt, Eli Manning in his career was at 7.0. And Joe Flacco's career, 6.9. Not, not to take anything away from Eli Manning, but I feel like Eli Manning's claim to fame is that he took down the Tom Brady dynasty that was the Patriots. Quarterback rating, 84.2 for Joe Flacco, 84.1 for Eli Manning. Just like you don't view Joe Joe Flacco as the prime reason why they ended up winning that Super Bowl, I don't view Eli Manning as the main reason why they won their two Strahan Super Bowls. Their defense. If you look at the run, by the way, that Joe Flacco had in their Super Bowl era, it was better than the run that we saw from Eli Manning in the Giants Super Bowl run. So if they end up going on a run this year and we are putting Eli Manning into the Hall of Fame, we're going to have some splaining to do if Joe Flacco is not far behind him. So I, I think it'll be very interesting to see the way that we treat Manning and if that ends up being different than the way that we treat Joe Flacco. I do think this is a team, by the way, that is capable of going on a run in the AFC. I, I agree. I really do. I, I agree. I, I think they're going to be – I think if they go on a run, we sit there and say it's because Miles Garrett and that defense just showed up every single game. I Agreed. don't think it's going to be – Oh, Joe Flacco was the MVP of everything. I think Joe game. Flacco will make plays. Joe, Fla Joe Flacco's out here slinging it, man. He is – it's YOLO balls all day long to Amari Cooper, to David and Joku. Like, he is completely unafraid to push the ball down the field, which is fun as hell to watch right now. It's going to come back to bite them. When they lose in the postseason – it will be because Joe Flacco threw three interceptions. I don't know who it's going to be against. They might have won already two or three games in the postseason before they get to that point. But when they lose, it will be because of Joe Flacco. But when they win, it might also be in part because of Joe but, Flacco. But I also, like, he's flinging balls against the Houston Texans, the New York Jets. And I know the Jets have an awesome defense. Yeah. But it's a Jets team that's pretty depleted knowing that they're not doing anything. He did it against the Bears. The he Bears also, defense has been good lately, man. He also did man. it against the Rams and threw two interceptions and lost that game. He's throwing a bunch of picks. Yeah. He, you're going to have to overcome some interceptions with Joe Flacco at quarterback. Yeah. but Like he lost to the Broncos. He lost to the Rams. He was back up in the Bron the Broncos game. The Rams game. Still on the team. Week one, you know. Still on the team. Um. All right, next thing up as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Alex, I hate Joe Flacco. Sorry, everybody. Clearly. The, the big news today in the NFL is that Jalen Waddell has officially been ruled out for the game against the Baltimore Ravens. How much does that impact your belief that the, uh, the Dolphins can keep up in this game against Baltimore? I mean, I can't say it makes that much of a difference because if Tyree Kill is uh, entered Terminator mode, then who really cares if sure. Jalen Waddell's there? Like, most of the time when, when the Dolphins win heavily, I don't even remember Jalen Waddles playing because Tyreek's having such a dominant performance. I, I think if the Dolphins are going to stay pace, which I still think they, they have an opportunity to, it's going to be because of their running game with Mostert and A-Chain, and it's going to be because of Tyreek Hill. If their defense can find a way to pressure Lamar Jackson, it'll be a close game. And if they can't, 
then Lamar Jackson's going to run run away with it. Man, uh, this Ravens defense is excellent. Yeah. And I have so much respect for that defense that the threat of Jalen Waddle not being out there, I think really changes the way that I expect this game to go. The Ravens already shut down the run basically every single week. You, you can't really run against them. Yeah. So you knew that was going to be taken away. The Mostert and A-Chan threat is not as big of a deal against this specific defense. But at least you have the two guys on the outside that at any point in time, they can get over the top. Yeah. And if you don't have the threat of one of those guys, well, now as a defense, I'm crowding the box and doubling Tyreek on every play. Go ahead and beat me with uh, Durham Smythe or Cedric Wilson Jr. or Braxton Berrios. Ooh, I should pick those guys up. I, I think this is a game that's going to be really hard for the Dolphins to be able to keep up in. I think it might end up being a little lower scoring than we're anticipating currently. 24 to 17, 24 to 16, something yeah. like that feels about right I to just, me. I never trust Lamar, and especially like in big games like this, I just never know what he's going to be. He's Alex Ferrario. Bradford Bruns back in the studio for us today. I'm Brandon Kylie. You're listening to BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Alex, we heard the other day uh, Blues chairman Tom Stillman talk about how they're looking right now at the lineup and how their young guys fit into what they currently have on the roster. So let's take a look at that. Where are the Blues still light, despite what we've seen in terms of improvements from the internal options this year? We'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, ask us anything is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for a very different segment than what we typically do at very this time different. of the day. It's an Ask Us Anything here on BK and Ferrario. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, get them in right now on the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's start with this one, Alex, from the 314. Boys, do you all set any resolutions or goals for the new year? And if so, what are you attempting to get out of 2024? Um, I told Katie last night, I said, I would really like to make a resolution to be more of a morning person. And I know resolutions are stupid. People are like, you don't need resolutions. I heard Rocky on his producer party. I just, with, my, with our two girls, I get into the habit because they're such good sleepers that they'll sleep until like 8.15, 8.30 sometimes. Huh, congrats, I, man. Yeah, well, you'll get there, buddy. You'll get there. And like I tell Katie all the time, I said, I hate the fact that like when they sleep in, we sleep in. And then when we have to be somewhere, we're rushing all the way. Sure. I said, like, I would just love the ability to wake up at like five or six and get stuff done before the girls get up. So what? how's it actionable? What are you going to do to make sure? It's not actionable because I have blues games until 11 o'clock at night. And then I say, I'm going to be a morning person. And then I'll go to bed till 1 o'clock and say, uh, no, maybe I'll be a morning person next year. So I'll figure it out. But that's at least something I told Katie I'd like to consider. I'd like to read more. Um, I I had a built. I could do that if I slept, if I woke up <laughs> earlier. I had a built-in excuse of all the writing that I used to do for Rock Game Nation. I'm no longer doing that. Um, so it's time for me to start getting back into the books, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for me to start reading a lot more. So the way that I can actionably uh, get into that, Alex, is by setting aside at least, you know, 30 minutes a night where I'm just sitting down and yep. 
reading a good old book. I would imagine our guy Bradford's resolution is less alliteration. Yeah, more. More well, why? Yep, yep, yep. How that's dare you, Alex? I know, that's true. Do you have anything, Bradford, that you're trying to, to get done in the new year? You know what? I thought, guys, that I was making progress on this front a few years ago, but it has all gone to heck. The caffeine consumption, specifically the colas, I've just gone straight down the tubes. I had a nice period post-college, actually. I was laying off, but now I don't know what has happened. I don't know what has happened, but I need to fix it, and I need a little intervention. Maybe I need some help from you guys. Can you help me out there? Nah, man, I have kids. I know you <laughs> I have a kid. I know you have kids at uh-huh. home as well. Mm-mm. Nope. Uh, my my caffeine content is, is what it is, and whatever you got to do to get through the day is fine by me. Man. I got one for Bradford. Bradford, steer clear of sipping on the sodas. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, that's a bigger bugaboo for me than the coffee, quite honestly. For real. You didn't catch it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Guys, do you think that fans – view Andrelton Simmons as a disappointment for Mason Wynn's career because he has been considered a, quote, untouchable, end quote, by the front office. So basically, Mason Wynn was built up to be something uh, that maybe he's incapable of being. I think think the Cardinals are guilty of this in general. I think they are a team, and I don't know if it's something that they aim to do or if it's just something that happens, and it's because we all get excited about the unknown. I, I think... They build up their prospects to a place at which it's almost impossible for them to reach those heights. If Mason Wynn were to become Andrelton Simmons, guys, that is a massive success because Andrelton Simmons was a major league starting shortstop that was one of the best defenders in all of baseball for a decade. For any player to become that, regardless of prospect status, that's a win to come through your development system and become something that you can say they are the best at anything, especially something as important as defense at that premium defensive position. So, yeah, I do do think there is something to that. They they hype their prospects up so much, and we pay attention so much locally that it it does become a situation where we expect more than sometimes what guys are even capable of. That's what I was going to say. I I think both sides are guilty. The the John Mosellock specifically is very guilty of making guys bigger than what they are, but I do think our side as Cardinals fans is guilty too because, like, when you hear John Mosellock pump up a Mason Wynn and talk about him as being like an untouchable, an untouchable doesn't have to mean he's a Hall of Famer and that he better be. An untouchable could be he is the best defensive player we have in our system, and we don't want to lose that. That can be what an untouchable is. And, like, I view a Jimmy Snuggerud as an untouchable for the Blues. But that doesn't mean that I think Jimmy Snuggerud is going to be the next Wayne Gretzky. I mean, you said yesterday that he's going to score 50 goals, so. Maybe the next Brendan Shanahan. I'm on board with that. But, like, untouchables can mean he is the best at what he does in our system, and it's going to take a lot for us to find that guy again so we can't trade him. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Guys, what was your favorite sports moment locally from 2023? I think for me it was the kick into the win against K-State. Uh, for Mizzou. I think that was probably my favorite local sports moment this season, just because of how much it meant for the program that means so much to me. Yeah. Uh, so that that would have probably been it for me. Was there anything that came to mind immediately for you, Alex? Mine, mine might be the Blues pick in that, in that draft, that 10th overall pick. Just because, I mean, it has not happened since Rod Brindamore in the 80s that they drafted a, a forward that high. Um, And it hasn't been since they took Alex Petrangelo that they took a player that high in the draft. And I know it's because of a bad season, but I, I, I personally feel like that 
five years from now, Blues fans are going to look back at that draft and say, man, that was the start of the next big thing for the Blues. So that was a pretty cool moment. And to be able to be there live for, with 101 ESPN uh, was, a, was a personal kind of year moment for me. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line for ask us anything from the six one eight guys. Is it possible that you can be less arrogant moving forward? My meaning behind this well, question you. is that you're the only radio program on the station that has your name in it. How about going on with the theme of the rest of the shows and being team players? Maybe you guys could be called the pit stop instead. Fair, tough but fair. I mean, no, not 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 fair at all. The reason our names are on the show is because we're so awesome. <laughs> and we're like, well, why not put them there? Nobody likes pit stops. Honestly, you know? it was just easy. I When Jamie and I became a show uh, with Alex as the, the board op at that time, producer, third voice, Jesus, whatever you want to call it. call me a board op. <laughs> um, that's, and see, that's that's the arrogance you people are talking you about. Know what? I understand it. That was a tone problem, an arrogance problem, a talking down problem. That was all of the things that I need to work on wrapped into one comment right there. It should there. just be the Ferrari show. Uh, I got you guys. Jamie, I, I asked him, what do you want the show to be called? I, I didn't care at the time. I was just a young kid that was getting an opportunity that – I, I was happy enough with that, right? It could have been called the Jamie Rivers Show featuring BK, and I would have been cool. That was Danny Mac's show featuring BK. I was cool with that at the time as well. Um, so he said, hey, let's do Ribs and BK. I said, cool, sounds good. And then the show was renamed, and I said, my only request, demand really, uh, when it becomes me and Alex, when Jamie moves to the fast lane, is that my name comes first now. It was my only demand. That's ridiculous. So we just kept the same. Same I'm idea. I'm a team player and don't really care where my name is as long as I'm a part of a show. But BK's like, man, I'm only a part of this show if my name's first. And it better be all caps and bigger than Alex's. Yeah, the logo, if you guys have ever seen this, if you go to the 101ESPN.com page and you see the BK and Ferrario tab, uh, you'll see the the label. I had, a, I had a little bit of input. Also, you know, that. who likes pit stops? They're like rust stops. Yeah, I like to get that. to where I'm going. I think, I don't that, need I think that was probably his point. Oh, because yeah. they hate us. Correct. Joke's right. on you. We'll Last be back for thing 2024. Here for Ask Us Anything. Boys, do you like taking vacations outside of the United States? My family is trying to plan one, and I am just not interested in going. Alex, have you uh, traveled abroad at yeah, all? Yeah, so, but both times we're on a cruise. Um, and I disliked the cruise. Uh, my wife and I are hoping to go to Milan in a couple of years for her oh, her damn. job doing Fashion Week where she's a hairstylist, and I'm okay with it. I, I don't know. I'd much rather just go to places that I'm familiar with rather than unfamiliar because of all of the uncertainty with it, but depending on the spot, I'd be on board with it. I love traveling abroad. Um, been to Mexico a few different times. I haven't. I have not gone to Europe yet. That is something that is on our bucket list. I would love to go to Italy. Um, I would love to go to Germany as well. Um, been to Peru. Went to um, where else have we been? Jamaica. Um, been to the Bahamas. That's not really abroad though. So. Uh, we've been to a few different places. I want to go to Canada really bad. I want to go to Montreal. I want to go to Vancouver. But, yeah, I, I love traveling. That's obviously you know Alex, uh, something that yeah, he does it a lot. I really like doing. The one thing that has become a topic of discussion in our family is we have to go places other than Disney World. Yeah, that's um, impossible. So we're, uh, we're working on that. That is that is something that we are, we are hoping to bring in the new year with. With Alex and Bradford on BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 
about 15 minutes or so. We'll get to our football pick em heading into the week. There are some college football games that are a part of this slate, so it's not just NFL content that we can go to here. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Alex, as you look at the Blues lineup right now and think to yourself, all right, how do Dvorsky and Snuggerud and the prospects that are coming, how do they fit into this thing? Where are they still light? When you look at what they currently have and the prospects, where are they light moving forward? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Browns on Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live from the ENV Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, the Blues are back in action tonight, and they're going up against the Colorado Avalanche. But a lot of what we talk about with this team is is more big picture because this is not their year to contend for a Stanley Cup. Now, be great if they did. If they found a way to get there again after firing their coach in season, maybe this is just the new thing, and the Blues should do it every year. If you don't believe that, check out. Uh... Uh, Minnesota right now who said fire our head coach and win 10 of 13 there you go so maybe that's the way that it ends up going but I'm skeptical I I wouldn't anticipate that being of course you are the way that this season comes to an end what this season is really about is trying to build something that is sustainable so getting Thomas Buchnevich and Kairou to work together as a legit top line in the NHL, finding out what you have in Jake neighbors and seeing, okay, is this a top six winger that we can build around for years to come? What do you have with uh, Perunovic? What do you have with Colton Pareko? Is he a legitimate number one defenseman or are you still light there? Those are the kinds of things that they're looking at. And they're also watching the world juniors as Alex is doing right now and finding out, okay, what is Jimmy Snuggerud? Can he be a part of our immediate future and long-term future? What do we got in Dvorsky? How far away is he? And what is he going to be in our lineup in future seasons? So as you think about all of this, and we heard the quote recently uh, on the curbside podcast from Tom Stillman, who said, Hey, they're looking at all of the things that we have right now and thinking about how do the future assets fit into what we have currently? Alex, where are they still light in your mind? Is it at center? Is it a winger? Is it defense? Where, where do you look at this roster and say to yourself, you know what? They probably still need to add externally to be able to fix this spot in your lineup. I, I don't think the center position, they're light. I think you're good on center position, whether you like Shannon Hayes or not. Uh, Hayes is one of the best faceoff men in the NHL, and I think what Shen's going through right now is a little bit of that new captain uh, feel and trying to figure out how to handle being a captain and an NHL player through a season. Not as easy as people think it is. Uh, wingers, I, I, I believe a lot of people would look at it and say, yeah, they're light there. But when you look at what these prospects are doing at the World Juniors, you can see why the Blues believe like they're going to be very heavy on the winger position in the next year or two years. Uh, to me, the lightest spot you're in is defense. And I think you're still lacking a 1A, 1B on the left side to play with Colton Pareko and Justin Falk. Nick Letty has played well over this last stretch. I actually looked this up when we were talking about the Colorado stretch in the last month. Nick Letty and Colton Pareko in the last month are a plus nine. And to put that into context for you, Kale McCarr and Devon Taves are a minus 16. So Pareko and Letty have been fine, but I still think you're light in one or both of those areas. If you bring in somebody who profiles as a Colton Pareko from the left side, 
you're put in a position where you're looking at this team thinking, man, in, in a couple of years, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with because they're deep at goaltending. I think they're deep in the forward spot, specifically on the offensive side. It really just comes down to defense. Do you get a Scott Perunovic who looks like a top four defenseman? Can Nick Letty continue his play, maybe become kind of like a second pair defenseman? And do the Blues have enough ability to go out there and find a top pair defenseman? Those are... Those are the questions. Those are the light areas, I think, that the Blues still remain. Yeah, I think you're right. And I didn't necessarily feel that way coming into the year. I thought they might be a number one center short. Yeah. I thought coming into this season, and we talked about it a lot, Alex, man, depending on what happens and what you see out of Robert Thomas, you, you might still be in the market for one of the top centers that becomes available in free agency. And that's going to cost you a boatload of money. And it might cost you time, too, because you spent all of this time believing and developing Robert Thomas and spending $8 million to have him as your number one center. And if it doesn't work out, ooh, that was a big bet that you missed out on. An yep. $8 million second-line center, that is not what you want to have. I don't feel that way anymore. I saw earlier today over on The Athletic, they put together the matchmaking game of where Elias Lindholm's going to go, a pending UFA. I didn't even feel the need to discuss it. Because I don't think that's what the Blues are looking for any longer. I don't, I don't think that's an area that they should be exploring. And instead, I look at the rest of the lineup, and I look at the forward lines, at least what they could be long-term. Booch, Thomas, Kairou. I like that. Neighbors, Dvorsky, Snuggerud. Sounds pretty good. Lindstein, Shin, Bolduc. Potential there. Lindstein's a defenseman. Stenberg. Stenberg. Linst but, hey, I mean, we've seen you know forwards play defense and defensemen play forwards. <laughs> Stenberg. Stenberg, yeah. Shin, Bolduc. All right. Yep. I think you might be a little light there, but there's potential. Torpchenko, Hayes, and Dean. Okay. Kind of see what you're doing there as well. Yeah. I'm, I don't see any immediate urgent need when it comes to what you have with your forward group right now. The place that you should be attacking with some serious urgency is the defensive core. Yep. And all of that, much like the early portion of the season was about finding out answers for Robert Thomas, I think the attention for the rest of the year, at least for me, Alex, is finding out what you have in Scott Perunovic. Yep. Where does he fit into this lineup long-term? Does he fit into the lineup long-term? Is he a third-pairing defenseman that helps you on the power play? Is that it? That's fine if it is, but is that what he's going to be? Or can he be more than that? We talked to Doug Armstrong, I think this was about a year ago now, Alex, about what his ideal partner would be for Colton Pareko. And he said it might look like somebody that plays the way that Scott Perunovic plays. Well, if Perunovic continues having success in that third pairing defensively, I would like to see them explore that. Not yet. We're not at that point yet. But continue putting him in positions to succeed, and then 10, 15, 20 games from now, that's probably where the rest of the year you find out what you've got in him. But I think that is the one spot where Letty is currently. It's not a shot against Letty. It's just the reality of the situation. That is the spot that I think you're still urgently yep. missing something for, and you don't have anybody in your system that can fit that spot. And look, I depending on Scott Perunovic's play, I'm with you. I think Scott Perunovic should be looked at as a top four defenseman for the rest of this season. And I know you don't want to push him into that spot. I know you don't want to force it because you don't want to lose confidence. But he's shown the ability to stay healthy, and he's showing confidence right now. I love the conversation he had with Rivs and Carey yesterday on, on the fast lane. I, I would put him up there. And what he does, if he looks like somebody who shows flashes of that Hobie Baker award that he got in college, 
by the end of this season, it allows the Blues the flexibility to either look for a trade again to try and open up one of those spots, or you know what, if they get to it and don't feel like those defensemen are in the, are in the plans moving forward, you buy one of them out. And I know Doug Armstrong doesn't do it, but at that point, you've got Scott Perunovich, who's an unrestricted free agent that you're going to have to pay yep. to say, you're in our top four. And for Blues fans, like, they've got some guys in their system. You know, my guy Leo Lou for the Springfield Thunderbirds. We've seen Tyler Tucker. Theo Lindstein's having a good tournament right now. they got a Matthew Kessel for Springfield. It's a forward, so. Yeah, that's true. Forward in BK's eyes. they got a Russian kid that's playing in the KHL who's, who's big and plays the way. All of these guys, though, are perfect third-pair defensemen. You don't have, t- you don't have top four potential guys I think Pareko and Falk are in the system and in the plans moving forward the question is what does that left side look like and Perunovic might be one of them and then you go out there and you spend money assets trade picks whatever it may take to get that other guy and then in a couple of years this retool that Doug Doug talked about might legit be out of it all right, Alex, we talked a little bit there about uh, the forward uh, Sten- or Lindstein, um, Lindstein who Stenberg, was fantastic when you look at what the prospects have done for the Blues in the World Juniors so far, it's been impressive. Yeah. What has stood out to you about what we've seen? Stenberg, Lindstein, Snuggerud, those are the three guys really that we, we've seen a decent amount right. of thus far. Yeah, and I think what stands out to everybody, and for those that don't know, uh, Dvorsky picked up two goals earlier this morning oh, for did Slovakia. He? Good. So now six of the seven players have scored a goal in Blues prospect pool. The only guy that hasn't is Lindstein, uh, but Lindstein's got three assists and is a plus five so far through two games for Sweden, and that's a guy who was thrown in late. Uh, what you're seeing is a lot of offense. Jimmy Snuggerud looks like somebody who's going to be a top-line winger for you. Um, Otto Stenberg is somebody that Doug Armstrong has talked a lot about, saying like he's the the 200-foot focused player. He says a lot like Alexander Steen, and right now he's playing like it. Picked up a hat trick yesterday. So you've got a ton of offense in those top-tier prospects. Dvorsky uh, not only scored those goals, but has picked up assists and is like 75% of the faceoff dot so far. Uh, but keep an eye, there's a couple of uh, under-the-radar guys. Uri Pekarczyk, who plays with Dvorsky, looks like uh, somebody who could be a, a third-line winger. He's picked up two goals so far. And then they had this Jakub Stancil, who scored earlier today for USA. So the blue system, everybody that's performing right now in World Juniors, they're standing out as the best players on their team amongst other players that are the same age as them. And if you're Doug Armstrong in the front office, that's what you want. Snuggerud looks like the best player on Team USA. Dvorsky today looked like the best player for Team Slovakia. Lindstein and Stenberg are standing out with Team Sweden. You'll exit this World Juniors with everybody talking about Blues prospects, and that should give Blues fans a lot of hope because you've got a lot of guys that have the potential to be top nine forwards for the Blues. He's Alex Ferrario. Bradford Bruns back in the studio for us today. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. We will get into the Josh Hader dream, which is basically dead, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next... It's time for our weekly football pick T-Bone will join us via the phone. He decided, I'll work on my day off. It's all good. I'll go ahead and make some picks that are going to go 0 for 3 for him this week. And looking forward to hearing what T-Bone has to say. We'll give you our picks coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex 
Ferrario and Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie, And right now, via the 101 ESPN hotline, Tanner Hendrickson is joining us here on the show. Even on his off day, he's willing to put in the work with us because it is time for our weekly football pick'em. And Alex, this is the final week of our December pick'em challenge. It's the final countdown. And it is tight in these standings right now. Alex and I have 11 points through the first three weeks of this pick'em challenge. T-Bone is just two points behind. Nine points this month. T-Bone and I both went one and two last week. We hit our three-point game. Alex went two and one last week. A nice week for Alex on the picks. He has decided that he's going to select last this week. I will pick second, which means T-Bone is giving us his pick first. If you're new to this, we give you three picks each week. We give grade them on a scale of one to three, three being the most points, one, of course, being the fewest. It's very simple. We'll be back on the show on Tuesday. The game has to be played before then. You can pick any game, NFL, college, but it has to be against the spread. No props, no point totals, etc. And to let people know, we did we announce that what the punishment will be is the uh, the nasty jelly bean at the end of each segment of a show. Yep. So somebody's going to be. It's either going to be delicious or nasty. Yep. We're not sure which one, but you go oh, into no. it wondering. I'll stack the box. Which one's it going to be? Yeah, I'll stack the box. Unless you're the one that is getting punished, well, that's of course. That's not possible because T-Bone's uh, last. All right, T-Bone, what is your one-point play this week? Guys, it's been some tough sledding for me this month, but it's I'm going to get it turned around hopefully. And it's not been. It's just not been tough sledding for me. It's been tough sledding for the Minnesota Vikings. They can't find a starting quarterback. They're on their fifth starting quarterback going into this week against the Green Bay Packers. So I love the Packers against Minnesota on Sunday Night Football plus one. I like that pick, T Bone. Uh oh. I'm not taking that pick though, T Bone. Oh and one. The next one that I have for you is. A game that made me nervous until I saw some news earlier today, boys. There's some news that Jacoby Brissett is questionable to start this weekend for the Washington Commanders because he's got a hammy issue. I like that a whole lot because the 49ers going up against Sam Howell, three picks written all over it. The 49ers are a 12 and a half point favorite. I don't care that this is on the road going West Coast to East Coast. T-Bone, take your stat on that and shove it up your you-know-what. I love the 49ers. Give me the Niners minus the 12 and a half points. I'm baking on them going up against Sam Howell and putting him into a locker. I'm, Alex, what do you got for I'm us? I'm amazed that you took that as the one-point play because that's my three-point play. Okay. Like 14 points, I don't freaking care. It's Washington. They stink. Sam Howell is probably starting now. San Francisco's coming off of a dud. Brock Purdy might throw for four touchdowns in the first quarter. So, yeah, I'm making that my three-point play. Uh, San Francisco minus 14. Well, my two-point play, you know this is going to go poorly for me and BK because I'm forgetting the West to East Coast thing as well. I'm going with my Rams, minus five and a half at the New York Giants. The Giants just freaking stink. And as much as Alex likes to rip on my boys, they're going to be a playoff team. They're going on the road. They're kicking the Giants up this week. Give me the Rams, minus five and a half at the G-Men. 
All right, T-Bone, here we go, baby. <laughs> Let's ride it together. I, too, have the Rams minus the five and a half points this week. I'm surprised this line isn't bigger, honestly. I understand that they're on the road. I understand that the Giants probably get a little bit of a bump going from your boy Tommy DeVito to Tyrod Taylor. I don't care. I don't care that, once again, this is a West Coast to East Coast game. The Rams are the better team. They have something meaningful still to play for. I'm taking the Rams minus five and a half points. Alex, as my three-point play going into the weekend. I love the Rams. I, what do you got, Alex? I'm actually taking that as my two-point play. <laughs> <laughs> I can crap on T-Bone's Rams all I want, but Giants are awful. And now they took out the Italian Stallion DeVito. Yeah, that's pretty much over for them. So I think that's going to be a walk in the park. So my two-point play. T-Bone, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. You can take it or leave it it's up to you i will allow you to pick last for your three-point play if you'd like just to make sure that you have a play that we did not take otherwise you might get boxed in here do you want to go last with this or do you want to give your play i'll go last that way i'm not boxed in all right so for my two-point play going into the weekend alex the new orleans saints are terrible i mean just just terrible and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, are a really solid football team. I think the Bucs are going to win by multiple scores this weekend at home against New Orleans. They're only a two-and-a-half-point favorite. So even if they just eke out a win on a last-second field goal or something, I'm covered there as well. I like the Bucks a lot. Minus the two-and-a-half points, that's my two-point play going into that's the weekend. my one-point play, so just mark me down for it as well. I, I, I originally thought that would be my Damn, third. we have the exact same picks this week. No, we didn't. We Not did. Not the first one. Oh, I went Cowboys with – or I went um, Niners. Oh, yeah, yeah, wow, we did. Well, that's unfortunate for both. Actually, that's probably unfortunate for me, although BK's done well. I just – I was going to make that my three-point play, but – I, I just the more I think about it, San Francisco is a significantly better team than Washington. Washington doesn't stand a chance. I do like Tampa Bay though. Like I talked about Baker Mayfield as my comeback player of the year. Tampa's pretty comfortably in their spot. New Orleans is still fighting for a playoff spot, but I don't think New Orleans knows what the hell they're going to do on offense. And Tampa's going to have success there. Plus, it's a home game, so unfortunately, we're going to go three of the same picks. But I do uh -huh. really like Tampa. T-Bone, all you have to do is just not take the Bucks, and you're not bo bo boxed in here. Well, I'm taking the Bucks. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad I went last because I had the Bucks as my three-point <laughs> play originally. Uh, because Baker Mayfield is going to get a bag for Christmas because he's the franchise quarterback in Tampa Bay is going to get extended there. But i got to change it up because you guys are taking it as well. T-Bone, do you want to move gonna... the Rams to your three-point play and the Vikings to your two-point play? Uh, no, I, I feel confident in this one okay. to be as a three-point play as well. I didn't have the cojones earlier, but you know what? you got to go big to win big. So I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills at home minus 14 against the New England Patriots. Patriots stink. You want to talk about a crappy football team. They're the definition of it. The Bills still have something to play for to get into the playoffs. I think they show up. I think they kick the crap out of the Patriots. Give me Buffalo minus 14 as the three-point play. That's going to get me out of the punishment. Imagine T-Bone relying on the team that he has ished on all season with Josh Allen as the one that avoids eating jelly beans. Dude, I... The Chiefs beat the Patriots by multiple scores. And the Chiefs are an incompetent football team right now. So I like that play, T-Bone. I like that a lot. I love it because, T-Bone, you're going down in fantasy football this week also because I've got the Bills stack against the Patriots. I am a I little know. surprised T-Bone made zero college football picks this weekend. I'm a little I surprised by it. that. Actually, I, I thought about taking Bama because I feel really good about Bama taking down Michigan this weekend. 
All right, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, T-Bone, before we get you out of here because we got Mizzou against Ohio State tonight. I don't care your thoughts on that. Yeah. But we do on Monday have the college football playoff, the first round, the semifinals. We've got um, Alabama against Michigan and then Texas against Washington. You feel confident on Alabama? Do you have a lean on Texas versus Washington? I, I like Texas. I think we see the two lower seeds advance, and I think that would probably be the first time in the college football playoff, if I'm not mistaken. But I do like, well, I do like Texas. I think they can put up points, and I think they're going to have a good enough defense to stop Washington and slow them down just enough. I think it's going to be a shootout, but I do like Texas, and I like Bama over Michigan. I like those same teams, and it makes me nervous that I like them as I much like, as I, I do. I like Washington over Texas. Do you? I think the skill overtakes Texas in that game. I, I think it has a chance, and T-Bone, this is kind of what I wanted to get into a little bit later today. We're going to talk about these bowl games a little bit further at 115. We've only seen one year in which both semifinals were decided by one score. And it was last season where we saw TCU overtake Michigan by six and Georgia beat Ohio State by one. Do you think we will see that again this season with both both games decided by one score? No, I think you see it in the Washington, Texas game, because I think that one's going to be basically who gets the football last. I don't think so in the Alabama, Michigan game. I think Alabama wins by two scores, 10 plus points, I'd say, because I I think they're going to be able to stop the run, and if they stop the run, I don't trust J.J. McCarthy to beat them. So I'm going to take Alabama. I would say 10-plus points for me. Interesting. Uh, by the way, T-Bone, to answer your question, we have seen it one other time where both of the lower-seeded teams ended up advancing to the college football playoff. It was 2018 when Alabama defeated number 1 Clemson and Georgia in double overtime beat at the time number two Oklahoma. So the one other time that it happened, it was Alabama as a number four seed and Georgia taking down Oklahoma. So this will be the second time that it happened in the history of the CFP. T-Bone, enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. Congratulations on an entire week off you. from having to deal with us. We'll talk with you again on Tuesday, buddy. Sounds good. See you guys, and I won't be in last place come Tuesday. Book it. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, you will. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, you will, buddy. He's basically banking on the Bills. If, if the Which, Bills again. win by 15 this weekend, T-Bone's in a good spot. If the Bills do not win by 15 this weekend, T-Bone's literally boxed in. The, the entire thing will come down to that, is whether or not he's able to get the 15-point win from the Bills this weekend. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer, but coming up next... Alex, we had a couple of conversations about whether or not Josh Hader made sense for the St. Louis Cardinals. I think we can go ahead and say that dream is officially dead. We'll explain why next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, well, he's looking for a deal north of Edwin Diaz, right? So it would be five years over a hundred million dollars and so far no club has gone to that ballpark at least as of yet but the three teams that are in play are the new york yankees the texas rangers and the los angeles dodgers what is very interesting here is it appears that all three of those teams prefer to sign a starter or trade for a starting pitcher rather than getting a closer that was Jim Bowden on MLB Network yesterday talking about the asking price currently for Josh Hader, saying, man, he wants a bigger and better deal than Edwin Diaz. 
Now, it's worth noting, Alex, much like the White Sox, the deal that we talked about the other day with Dylan Cease, yeah, sure, they're asking for a ton. They haven't made the deal yet, which means nobody's clearly willing to meet that demand. Josh Hader would have been signed by now if somebody was willing to meet his asking price, and that obviously has not yet taken place. So when you look at what he's going to end up getting on the open market, uh, the projections from The Athletic had Josh Hader at a four-year deal worth $80 million. That feels about right to me, honestly, somewhere in that range. Now, somebody might get desperate, and if they end up missing out on Montgomery and Snell, they may then say, you know what, instead of having one of those top-end starters, let's just get a lockdown guy at the back end of our bullpen. We'll use the $20 million that we were going to give to Monty or Snell, or we'll use that for Josh Hader. We'll give him that for five years. It's possible that ends up being the way that this goes. I don't know. If he is looking, though, for a deal that is similar to Edwin Diaz and he's looking for four to five years on said deal, I'd be pretty shocked at this point if the Cardinals are the team that give it to him. Yeah, I could see the Cardinals going out and giving Robert Stevenson three years and $30 million or Jordan Hicks three years and $30 million or Hector Neris two years, $15 million or one of the other lower level pitchers two years, $10 million. I just don't I don't see it as realistic that the Cardinals end up getting Josh Hader at this kind of a contract. I don't either. I think we've officially hit the point now where the Cardinals aren't going multi-years with any bullpen arm, and that includes Josh Hader. I think if they're signing a bullpen arm, it's going to be a one-year deal. Maybe a one-year deal that's got a club option attached to it, but it's not going to be a – a deal that is as massive as these top contending teams are going to accomplish. One, because of the money. And two, I just don't know if the Cardinals truly believe in the 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 three or four years for how many times they've been bitten for that bullpen arm. And I still don't know if the Cardinals even want a bullpen arm compared to still going out there and acquiring a starting pitcher. You heard Jim Bowden talk there a little bit about, you know, the why so many teams are deciding to go after starting pitchers and sign them rather than get these bullpen arms. So, yeah, I think that Josh Hader dream is dead. And and honestly, as much as I originally thought, like, yeah, you know what, that's going to make the Cardinals stacked, I get it, and I'm okay with them not going out there because, man, four years of 20 mil per year for Josh Hader would make me very nervous because we know how this team operates. they got a budget, and if you sign Hader to that, it's keeping you away from somebody else in the future. So Ruben Amaro Jr. is a former Major League Baseball general manager. He He was in charge of the Phillies for a number of years, Alex. And he was on MLB Network yesterday, and they were talking about this report coming from Jim Bowden about how expensive it's going to be for the rights to sign Josh Hader. And he said something that I think as you think about where the Cardinals are at in their life cycle as an organization right now, think about how this could apply to them. Here's Ruben Amaro Jr. yesterday on MLB Network. Now the question is, am I a contending team and am I going to take that chance knowing that I'm going to have four or five years of contention? Because if if not, then I got to be questioning whether or not I want to make that kind of commitment because I've been there and done it. I did it with Papelbon and we thought that we were contending for several years. Didn't really happen. He pitched great, but um, but we didn't have the ball club to really to back it up. Do you think the Cardinals are a contender? Like a legit contender? If the answer is no, you nope. can't go sign nope. Josh Hader because you're signing him really for this year and next. That That is what the contract would really well, listen, be for. Well, listen to the three teams that Bowden said were in on Josh Hader. Rangers, although they might not look like a contender, but if they get DeGrom and Scherzer back, they're going to be a contender. The Yankees and the Dodgers. I, I mean... No, you're nowhere near the same level as those. Two I think teams. you are. I think you might even be better next year than the Yankees. To be honest with you, uh, the way that it goes with the Yankees, I would agree with that. But I think the Yankees got, if 
health goes their direction, they've got the pieces in place that over. It all comes down to the starting pitcher. Sure. Like, that's where you're weak. Offensively, I'd put you up there with the Yankees and the Texas Rangers. I, I just can't put you in the same conversation when I'm talking their guys versus Sonny Gray and Miles Michael. I guess the question that I would have is, can the Cardinals bullpen th- teams to death in the postseason? Because it, if you think they can, they, then the starting pitching becomes less of a concern for you. If you've got Sonny Gray and Miles Michaelis has a bounce back season to what he was two years ago instead of what he was last year, and one of the other starters, whoever, whether it's somebody from your system currently or one of the guys currently on the roster, becomes solid. Maybe it's even Steven Matz. Like, I know that sounds silly to Cardinals fans right now, but, man, Steven Matz has been pretty good for the most part when healthy. He doesn't get very deep into games, which is less of a concern in the postseason, and he hasn't been healthy enough. But when healthy, he's been kind of what you envision from a number three or four starter in the playoffs. So let's put those guys into your rotation, and then in the bullpen – You've got Zach Thompson, and you've got uh, JoJo Romero, and now you're going to Geo and Helsley and Hayter potentially at the back end of the pin. That is something that works, and I do think the Cardinals would be more likely to go four years. Let's say the price doesn't get to the five years, $100 million. Let's say it's four and 80, right? Because that's the only way that I think this even becomes a conversation for them. If it ends up being four and 80, I think you can convince yourself that that is a better investment for the Cardinals than five and one thirty or one forty for Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell. The question then really becomes: Is it better to go give this money to Josh Hader, or is it better to trade for one of those front end starters? That's what I was going to ask. Is that a better option than going out there and trading for the package we've talked about with Dylan Cease and signing him to a contract extension or making a trade and? going out there to get Framber Valdez or a Logan Gilbert, I'd argue that any of those three starting pitcher options are better for the Cardinals this season than throwing four years and $80 million at Hayter. I think in a vacuum, I agree. I think it depends on what the package is. If the package is the prospects that we were talking about the other day, I'll do it. I'm willing to give up prospects for a major league ready talent that I know what I'm getting from next year that makes me into a legitimate contender like what Ruben Amaro was just saying. If I'm having to give up Nolan Gorman, if the demand, not the ask, the demand is you can give up Nolan Gorman to get one of these starters, or I can give up 20 mil a year for a four-year deal to get Josh Hader, I think I'd probably go the Josh Hader route, even though I understand I'm taking on a ton of risk, man. This guy is a lefty reliever who's coming out of your bullpen with a wildly erratic um, pitching motion. And like a year ago, we were talking about it as, is Josh Hader still the same guy? So I understand. I'm taking on risk here. The Cardinals are taking on risk no matter what they do the rest of the offseason because it's going to be incredibly difficult to be able to catch the Phillies, the Braves, or the Dodgers. This is the kind of thing that would be a super aggressive move, and I'd, I'd be interested in it. That being said, I think he ends up going to the Yankees, the Dodgers, or the Phillies, or the Rangers, and I think he goes to the team that ends up missing out on Snell and Montgomery. I, I think that's what ends up happening, and he gets a five-year yeah, deal. I think it's going to be a Yankees move because especially for how much the Yankees have missed out on it, it screams Yankees to where, like, oh, well, we got to overcompensate for an area that we missed out on with Yamamoto, so let's go throw the money at this bullpen arm. Like, I, I just – it just doesn't fall into the category of what Mo has talked about. Of oh, we got to build for to get to October before we even worry about October. Sure. Like this screams October move, and 
John Mozalak seems to be in a situation where it's like, well, well, what if we go out there and get a Phil Maton and bring that option in and make a trade for a Dylan Cease? Sure. That's more along the lines of what it seems like they're thinking than a Josh Hader. So the last thing here, Alex, before we get to the juncture on the other side, we've talked a lot about the Cardinals' bullpen. And one of the ways that they could bolster that area is by putting – Maybe it's Tinkens, maybe it's Gordon Graceffo, maybe it ends up being one of, if not multiple of, Zach Thompson and or Matthew Liberatore. Putting those pitching prospects into your bullpen. The question that I have, though, is can, can you develop starters that way? Because it used to be the way that the Cardinals developed their starters. Carlos Martinez started his career here in St. Louis out of the bullpen and eventually became a starter for the Cardinals. You look back at like what they did with Adam Wainwright. The first year he was the closer and then eventually became what we now know Adam Wainwright's to be. That was the path. You get guys to get comfortable. They go against major league competition and boom, they get their feet wet by coming out of the bullpen. Now it almost feels like when guys become relievers, they are just relievers for the entirety of his of their career. Trevor Rosenthal was that. Uh, Jordan Hicks, despite having a brief stint as a starter, was essentially that. Do you think you can develop starters nowadays coming out of the bullpen? I think you can, but you have to have the right coaching staff in place. And what I mean by that is, like, I think what the Cardinals used to have with Dave Duncan is why it worked so well for developing those guys out of the bullpen because they knew what it took to get to that starting rotation spot and you had people to guide them along the way. I feel like now Major League Baseball, and honestly it's kind of the same in, in all of sports, but hockey is the best one that I could come up with, like to where you know you don't bring guys up and develop them from the fourth line and then they all of a sudden become a top line player. Guys come in and they're a top six player. Jake Neighbors is the exception yeah. we talked about. It just doesn't feel like now players in college are starting pitchers, and then once they get to the minor leagues, you're throwing innings, and teams are limiting them with their innings, and they're saying, no, you're only throwing this much because you're in our rotation, and we're going to continue to build you this way. It feels like the bullpen arms, and, and I mean, I know it's been joked about in Major League Baseball, but it's the failed starter spot. When you're yep. not a starter, you become the bullpen arm, and it, not, it didn't used to be that way. It used to be like Lance Lynn. Well, you're going to be our rotation guy, but we need you to be our bullpen guy first. And I think a lot of that was just the the old school mentality, but I think some of it was just the coaching staffs that knew what it took to be in a rotation and knew how to mold those players in that direction. I'm going to give you the list of Cardinals rookie relievers since 2013 that threw at least 30 innings out of the bullpen. Now think in your head, did this guy eventually become a starter or not? Okay, this is over the last decade. Cardinals rookie relievers that threw at least 30 innings. Hennessy Cabrera, Ryan Helsley, Carlos Martinez... Sung Wan Oh, Jordan Hicks, Trevor Rosenthal, Geo, Tyler Webb, Kevin Segrist, Matt Bowman, Sam Tui, uh, Seth Manis, Mike Myers, uh, Andre Palante, John Brebia, Sam Freeman, Jake Woodford, uh, Junior Fernandez, Nick Greenwood, and Cody Whitley. How many of those starters you hear in there? One. It's Carlos Martinez. Mm -hmm. So as much as I think that it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing for them to go about this the way that we're talking about, like, hey, next year, if you had Gordon Graceffo coming out of the bullpen, does it make your bullpen better? Yeah, probably. But if you have Gordon Graceffo coming out of the bullpen and he becomes a good bullpen arm, do they just say, hey, you know what? He's a bullpen arm for us now. Based on the recent history, the answer is probably yes as well. So I think that is a reason why they have to go out there. And even if it's not Josh Hader, 
Go out and acquire multiple bullpen yeah. arms. Go out and get two of them that can come in and be leverage relievers for you going into 2024. Yeah, and it feels like, you know, you, you've got – you got depth that can come up and be guys that come in and blow out games or come out and just eat a couple of innings for you. I don't think you've got enough guys, and we've talked a lot about this, that in a one-run game, two-run game, your pitcher's done the third time through the order, and you say, we've got to win this to win the series. I think you've got one guy that I trust in that situation, and it's Ryan Helsley, and I think you need more. He's Alex Ferrario. Bradford Bruns back in the studio for us today. I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up at the top of the hour, it seems like the Blues are doing everything that Craig Berube wanted them to do, and it's basically coming from the same message that Craig Berube was giving, but it's coming from a different messenger right now. Is that why we're seeing them finally get to their game? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. The Junk Drawer is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. the junk drawer with Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, what do you have for us today, my friend? So I don't know how much you guys were into video games when you were younger. I'm assuming everybody listening right now has at least played one of them. But uh, did you keep it in the box? Did you say, you know what? What a great gift as an eight-year-old. I'm never opening this and I'm just going to stare at it. Obviously, yes. Obviously. That was, that was my go-to. Who wouldn't do that? Yeah. Well, some man out in Virginia because he sold his Super Nintendo system with apparently a vintage Super Mario game that sold for over $300,000. 300K? 300K. For a gaming system? And a video game all in mint condition in the box in the wrapper. So <clears throat> I've never really understood this. I don't either. And I'm not even just talking about video games. Now, it is worth noting, I don't have FU money. <laughs> and therefore, I, wish I, did. <laughs> I don't have the capacity, money-wise, to go out there and just spend wildly on something frivolous, right? Like something that I just, I want that, therefore I will pay whatever it takes to get that. But like the Beanie Baby thing, the, the trend with that stuff where it was like, hey, oh, yeah. Keep it in mint condition because this is going to be worth something. Why? Why is it worth something? Explain to me why somebody wants this while it's in quote-unquote mint condition, right? I don't understand the memorabilia thing. I'm not saying anybody else is wrong for doing so. It just doesn't click for me, I, Alex. I just don't understand the video game side of this. <laughs> because first of all, you can purchase the exact same video gaming system and game, sure. although it's not mint condition you could purchase it for a hundred bucks for fifty dollars if you want to relive your childhood but who the bleep gets this when they're five six seven years old and says i'm never opening this that's got to be a parent decision that was a parent decision where they said hey i'm gonna buy this for you with the express belief that down the road this is going to be worth but something that's torture <laughs> that is torture to these kids because like why wouldn't you want to get this like look 
The best gaming system that I ever received was the Nintendo 64 when absolutely. I was younger. What best was your go-to game on it? Goldeneye. Yeah, absolutely. Goldeneye. I mean, like, best gaming system I've ever played, and I still have it to this day. Quarterback club, underrated game on that. NFL Blitz was very good on that sure. one. Probably the most underrated, though, is my go-to Banjo-Kazooie. Like, watch out. I can dominate that game. Crash Bandicoot. Crash Bandicoot. Diddy Kong Racing. Sure. Better than any Mario Kart oh, Racing. Yes. Any day of the week. But here's the thing. I Diddy still Kong Race. Is that what he sounds like? Yeah kind of look like him, man. Thanks, man. You just, just look like him. You used to play that uh, in college, right? Burio Kart. Yeah. Well, oh, you wouldn't. Diddy Kong Racing was tough to do with with, with alcohol. Because Why? Mario, Birio, it just named work. So oh. great. I didn't try it with Diddy Kong. But Diddy. My, but my, no, I was saying my point is I still have mine to this day. I would have never sold it because I still play it. I played it when I was eight years old when I got it. How the hell do you get this and say I'm not touching this and not touching it for that long? I just don't understand it. Don't it even, doesn't make any sense to me, and like I have no—I I would also have no interest. What's the what's the buyer doing with this as well? That's the are thing. Are you putting it into a museum? Like, what what are we doing with this? Probably, but like again, it, it's a it's a system that's just going to continue to go around in packaging, and you don't. Somebody get said out of a it. perfect unopened golden eye would go for tens of thousands of dollars yeah. today. Oh yeah. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's the thing. Really? There have been so many things that I had in my childhood that, like, I could have sold for a lot of money to this day. Like, I was big into Pokemon when they were going on, had all of the cards, all the originals, opened them, had them in the little booklet. Those things sold for, like, 50 grand. And I gave them away at a garage sale for probably 10 bucks. Do you still play video games? Yeah. Not as much because, you know, it's very What's rare. your system now? Did you, like... Did you stop buying the new version of the system at some point? Because uh, I've got the Xbox 360. I'm not, like, the X, the newest version of the Xbox. I don't uh, play enough to make it worth it for me. I have a PlayStation 4, and the only things I do on it are, like, sports games. Sure. And it is very rare that I do it. Like, it's probably in the evening when Katie goes to bed early and the girls are asleep and I've got nothing to watch. I'm like, well, I'll go turn it on and play it for a little bit. I'm going to make an assumption that is unfair. Bradford, are you still a gamer? That would not be accurate, sir. Okay. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> All right. All right. Gotcha. Uh, what, what was your system? Were you an Xbox guy or a PlayStation guy? No, a team like PlayStation. chose their lane at some yeah. point in life. That is true. Team PlayStation all of the way, all day, every day. There was nothing better than playing old school Madden and dominating. I would try to stack a team, yes, fair or not, with LT, Mike Vick. Some of the, honestly, some of my fondest memories with my younger brother, playing against him head to head and just watching me suck the life out of him as I kept possession for 45 minutes it was awesome see i was an xbox guy because you had to have halo yeah so halo see, was the game and everybody wanted to play it and so the only way you could get it was by playing yeah, it on xbox yeah see i've 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 been convinced by my brother-in-law who lives in ohio he goes to dayton to get an xbox so i can game with him and i said dude i don't game on the level that you do like <laughs> i suck like, he plays Call of Duty. I couldn't last in Call of Duty for more than two minutes. Oh, so I was so bad at Call of Duty that I was more of a viewer, than a spectator, yep. so to speak, yep. than somebody that was Same. going to be a part of the, the Call of Duty sweepstakes. But see, I'm the nerd now that, like, I've got a PlayStation and I play it every once in a while, but when I'm bored, I turn on my Nintendo 64. Oh, really? Like, sure. I'll go sit down and play that 
much longer than I would any type of PlayStation or Xbox right now. Somebody said MLB The Show was only on PlayStation, though. Absolutely. They just switched that now. Did they? That was the reason I had a PlayStation for so long, because it was See? only MLB Everybody The Show. Everybody had a game. Yep. There was a game that was exclusive to a console, and you made your choice. Yep. You made your choice in life, and that's Off who you were. Yep. You were either an Xbox guy or you were, pl you were a PlayStation guy. These kids wouldn't understand no, that no. nowadays. Nope. Alongside Alex Ferrario so and I'm, the non-gamer yeah. Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've also, got BK and Ferrario. The message today, BK, is don't open your toys, kids. Or get two of them. Get two toys Good for point. your kids. Good point. One that goes into a box that is never to be opened. The other that is something that they can play with. Pure Those. psychotic. Coming up next. It sure seems like the Blues are doing everything that Craig Berube wanted them to do, and they're basically getting the exact same message from Drew Bannister now that Craig Berube was giving them previously. So why is it finally starting to hit home? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, we had a really good relationship in the American League. Um, he seems to read me well and, you know, know what to say. And, you know, he pulled me aside a couple of times today and just kind of said a few things about, you know, the game last night. And that's the type of player I am and that I can be every night. And he has full confidence in me. He told me to shoot the puck, too, which I'm sure I'll be hearing again uh, soon from him. But, uh yeah, it's definitely nice. I think we've always had a good relationship, and um, I think he trusts me, and hopefully I can keep showing him that he can trust me. That was Scott Perunovich yesterday joining the Fast Lane. If you missed any of their conversation with him, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, he was talking about Drew Bannister there, the Blues interim head coach who was the head coach for Perunovich while he was down in the AHL with the Springfield Thunderbirds. And when I hear Drew Bannister talk, the message seems to be almost the exact same mm -hmm. as what we were hearing under Craig Burby. It's get the pucks in deep, get to work on the forecheck, put the pucks in the right area, make sure you're battling, compete levels have to be high, defend well in our own zone, best penalty killer is our goal. Like, all of the things message-wise that he is sending – they're all the same things that Barubi was saying. And, Alex, there's a reason for that. Because there's a way to win in this league, and all of the coaches know it. And the question is, can you get the buy-in? And for whatever reason, we don't have to rehash it any longer, but the buy-in was no longer there with Craig Barubi as the head coach. His message didn't go stale. The way that he was packaging it, apparently, went stale. And, Alex, I think we can all kind of relate to this in some way or another when I was growing up I used to always do the same thing and it was a stupid thing by me my mom would tell me something and I'd say oh what do you know right you I'm I clearly know more than you I'm some snot-nosed 15 year old that's got this all figured out what could you possibly know that I don't 15 years later he's still a snot-nosed kid who thinks he knows everything <laughs> exactly so then you'd hear the exact same message from a friend, a friend's parents, a teacher, whoever, right? Somebody else that's not your mom or dad. And you'd be like, man, that is the single best piece of advice I have ever heard in my life. Why hasn't anybody else said that to me before? It's the same message. 
it's coming from a different messenger. It's packaged in a slightly different way. And suddenly, for whatever reason, it resonates with you. That appears to be what's happening right now with the Blues. I don't know how Bannister is getting his message across to the players in a way that Berube could not. Maybe it is as simple as, man, when you listen to Bannister talk, it sounds a little different in terms of the intensity and all of those different things than what you used to hear with Craig Berube. We heard this from Grant Francis, who goes out to the morning skates for us. He said, hey, listen, the first time that I heard a Drew Bannister practice, my initial response was, oh, my God, it is quiet. Mm -hmm. Because instead of barking the orders the way that Berube did, he is much more, I'm going to take everything in. I'm going to coach you off to the side. We see all of the pictures, all the video of him going off to the side with the guys, having individual chats with them. Perunovic just mentioned that. He talked about how he took Jordan Cairo into a video room after like the second game that Cairo played and said, hey, this is what I need you to do. You're not using your speed wide enough. Here are all of the clips that I'm going to show you of you not doing it. And then let me show you some of the stuff as a positive reinforcement of when you did do it and got success out of what I'm showing you. Again, I think most of the messaging is the same as it was under Craig Berube, but it seems like the packaging is a little bit different, and that's why it's resonating now with the players. Yeah, it's it's a different voice, and I think a lot of the players have talked about this. I know I was having a conversation with Tyler Tucker last weekend, or two weekends ago, and he said it's just different when you skate back to the bench because not that it was a bad thing, but you, you knew that if something went wrong, Craig Berube was going to say something at you. And he said now it feels like we get back to the bench and nothing really happens. And I think what Drew Bannister is doing is he's allowing the players to, to let the mistakes happen and then correcting them when they do rather than trying to correct them in game because that's the accountability factor. Bannister's hoping that the accountability takes over for these players. It's nothing to do with Craig Berube and everything to do with the players actually taking that next step internally, and that's what Drew Bannister's accomplishing. I think there's a there's an honesty factor that Craig Berube had when he first stepped in, and it's an interim head coach thing, but let's be honest here. It's just the interim head coach new feel. That's It happens everywhere. Minnesota's still having it right now. Nashville has it with Andrew Brunette, who took over at the beginning of this season. When you get a new voice in there, sometimes it just eases everybody else. Whether you like it or not, the Blues are doing the exact same thing Craig Berube had said in every single coach's show with Craig, with uh, Chris Kerber on our pregames. The third period against Dallas was prototypical Craig Berube. You're up by a goal, you dump the puck in behind the net, and you make them work for it. And they did it. And they did That it. was the difference was like, you're right, it is prototypical Craig Berube messaging. Yeah. The difference was in the execution of the players actually going out there and putting the puck into but the I right the, areas, the and then going to work on the forecheck. And the difference of why the players were doing that is because Bannister, at least for right now, is allowing them to have that freedom that if you see something, you go out there and you take your chance. But you better be damn sure you get back and you cover for your team, whereas before, it just felt like it was always dump the puck in, dump the puck in, dump the puck in. I think there's a little bit more freedom right now. There's a little bit more responsibility internally by these players, and I... I do think there's a different mindset with Drew Bannister in certain areas, meaning the defenseman getting involved. Okay. That is really sticking out How a little so? bit more. Because So in the last seven games, you've got six goals and 20 points from those defensemen. And on top of it, if you look at Drew Bannister's history in the minor leagues when he was from San Antonio Rampage up until the Springfield Thunderbirds, all of his defensemen had 30 to 40 points, maybe more, 
all of his defensemen were averaging two or more shots on goal per game. And oh, I mean, wow. I'm talking Jake Wallman. I'm talking Nico Mikola. I'm talking Matthew Kessel right now, Scott Perunovic in the short time he was there. You've mentioned a lot of defensemen that are developed pretty well. Exactly. I think that's noteworthy. I think that's very noteworthy. Callie Rosen, everybody loved Callie Rosen. Guys, Callie Rosen was that guy in the minors with Drew Bannister. There was a little bit of hesitancy to allow those players to do that because the 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 reference point was to be so good in the defensive zone that you didn't want to put your team in a bad spot. Drew Bannister wants his guys to be involved. Now, you have to have that that backup. You have to have the forwards being responsible and taking over the spots. But, like, look who's been scoring goals for you. Marco Scandella and Scott Perunovic combined for three points in that game against Dallas. And on top of it, they had one of the best puck possession zone times all season. 31 seconds that led to the goal. There were 10 passes before they scored that goal. And Perunovic and Marco Scandella were a majority of that. He wants his defensemen to be involved. And I just believe that the way that the NHL is going with these smaller defensemen getting involved, Craig Berube likes the big defensemen. You like being able to be so responsible in the defensive zone. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth. It just seems that way. Whereas now you're seeing some of these guys that Drew Bannister has had success with. He's telling Scott Perunovic, we love what you're doing. Shoot the puck more. It will be interesting to monitor the success or lack thereof. It could go either direction. Yeah. Who knows? Of Tory Krug, Nick Letty, and Scott Perunovic under Drew Bannister. Because I think one of the biggest frustrations that I personally have had in recent years was the inability to get the most out of puck-moving defensemen under Craig Berube. And I don't know if that was a him issue. I don't know if that was a player issue. It was probably a combination of the two. But when you see Jake Wallman go off and have success in Detroit the way that he has, when you see Vince Dunn go off and have success the way that he has elsewhere, when you see Tory Krug have success elsewhere, come here and not be the same player, when you see Scott Perunovich be a Hobie Baker winner, go to the AHL, have success down there, and then not be able to translate. I know some of this is injury-related, but not be able to translate that to the NHL level or not get opportunities to translate that to the NHL level. Those are things that definitely stuck out to me. And I will be curious to see, because so far, so good. Does that sustain? Does that continue beyond just a six-game small sample size that we've seen from guys like Krug, Perunovic, et cetera? Uh, I I think that's something worth monitoring. And, Alex, that's something that I think is going to play into whether or not Drew Bannister ends up being the guy here, yeah. not just on an interim basis, but for however long it ends up working. And I think this is something that everybody's got to answer themselves. Certainly the only one that really matters is what uh, Doug Armstrong thinks about it. But at what point for you will you look at it and say, you know what? I was skeptical, but I think Drew Bannister might be the long-term answer as the Blues head coach. Is there something – that'll click for you? Is it a feel thing? What what has to happen for that to be the case for I you? think it's going to be, and this is so hard to judge because who knows if it happens, but when this team goes into one of their dry spells or goes into one of their slumps, how long do that, does that slump last? Because I thought back, I was thinking of this last night to when, you know, people really bought into Craig Berube. And yeah, of course, oh, 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 it was when he won the Stanley Cup. I think it was prior to that. I think it was when he won those 11 games. You saw a difference in Craig Berube. I mean, he was his team played 500 hockey when he took over. And then in the middle of January, we all know the story, when they went on that 11-game win streak, they never really had a slump again. And when they did have their slump, it was one game. It was half a game. And they were out of it. Uh, that's what it's going to tell me with Drew Bannister. Like, is this 
Because, again, 10 games is a, is a threshold to get to before you can start to be like, oh, Drew Bannister, he's the next guy. Uh, they're about to win five consecutive games on home ice if they do this with Drew Bannister tonight. They would win four straight games. Like, that's impressive. But when a slump happens, and it will happen, how long does it last? Because that's going to tell me, does that group in the locker room, do they buy into this message that's Drew Bannister? Do they realize that they are better than what they thought? Does the accountability factor stay in that room? Or when things go bad, does it revert back to what this team was before and the mental strength just isn't there? To your point on Barubi, before that 10-game winning streak, he had coached 19 games here in St. Louis. The Blues were 10-8-1 and one in those 19 games. Yeah. So they were essentially a 500 hockey club whenever he took over, which is basically what they were beforehand, too. They were 11-14-4. If you look at the points percentage, that is 500. basically 500. Yep. So they went from being a 500 hockey club when they fired their head coach to remaining a 500 hockey club for the first essentially 20 games under Craig Berube and then they took off, and we all know what the rest of the story is there. For Drew Bannister, let's let's give him about 20 games to find out, okay, what is his team going to look like under Drew Bannister? The next 20 games will determine that, and then we find out who they really are under him. Mm-hmm. So that probably starts in mid-January it's when we really start to find out, okay, what's a Drew Bannister St. Louis Blues in 2024 look like? Yep. The, this stretch of games – is going to determine that because you're in a tough stretch right now. The next nine games are against big-time op- opponents. How you make it through that, if you're able to withstand this stretch, then maybe you do go yeah. on a little bit of a run, and then he becomes a leading candidate, if not the number one candidate for the yeah, job. You want to find out if this group has the ability to have that mental confidence, that mental strength. We've seen it a lot in this small sample size. Can it last for 50-plus games? Because if it can't, if you go into another spell of two weeks where your team just looks incapable, inferior to their opponent, then it sounds like it's a player problem, not a coach problem. And then you get back into the conversation of what do you do next. But, man, if Drew Bannister could go on a little bit of a run, it gets 20 to 30 games of these guys, if they lose a game like they did versus Tampa, respond solid the next night. That's when you start to say, like, you know what? They might have the right coach for the right team. He's Alex Ferrario. Bradford Bruns is back in the studio for us today. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. In 15 minutes, we'll get to a game of one's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Four one's got to go. You give us four options, we'll tell you which one's got to go. But next, would a change in the offseason calendar benefit the excitement leading into bowl games, it feels like the anticipation is down compared to what it's been in previous years. I think there's a reason for that. We'll get into it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. because I'm not doing it here because we're on remote and that means it's not going to sound great. That's why you didn't get it. Oh, I needed that in my oh, life. I'm sorry. You know how when you're getting ready to sneeze oh, yeah. and then somebody says something to you, you you do this all the time and it frustrates me to no end. You know what? Perform. And then you can't sneeze. You know what? If you and can't... then it's just stuck up in your nose for the next 12 hours and you just want to punch the guy that did that to you. Look, some of us don't have performance problems and some of us do. 
I perform under pressure really well. I obviously do not. I have no. I have uh, performance anxiety. Yeah. And Alex, what you just did there, that was essentially you getting me to the sneeze yeah, and not allowing me to get it out of my system. Yep. And you're I don't welcome. appreciate that about you. That's a tease for Tuesday. Look at me being like Bradford Bruns out well here. Well played, sir. All right, let's get to one's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line. You give us four different options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. Let's start with this. One's got to go New Year's Eve celebration edition. Alex, I know what your answer is going to be Sleeping here. Sleeping at 8 o'clock, yes. Staying at home, going to a friend's house, traveling to Times Square. Hell no. Or going to a club. Yeah, I could honestly tell you which one's got to go. Um, and it's traveling to Times Square. Although, I think I would much rather travel to Times Square than go to a club on New Year's Eve. Because at least I've got something I can enjoy at Times Square. Really? I got nothing to enjoy at the club. So I actually think I'm going to get rid of the club here. I can't imagine anything that you would hate more than going to Times Square oh, for New Year's Eve. But I really enjoy watching the ball drop at home on television. You would not enjoy it in person, buddy. Of course. It's cold. Well, that's fine. You're shoulder to shoulder with human beings yeah but i'll get a i'll get you like have an to pay suite. thousands of dollars i get an apartment suite oh yeah. do you have fu money now yeah, suddenly I got FU money now there are restaurants that charge people like you've got to either get a reservation which costs money or you have to like pay to use the restrooms in times square over new year's yeah. Eve. that is my nightmare yeah there is nothing that i would rather do less then go to Times Square for New Year's Eve. I went to New York last year for the first time in my life, and I fell in love with the city. I would love to travel there once a year if I had, again, FU money like Alex clearly does. Obviously. But going there for, for New Year's Eve, I but, could not have less but interest. what's my incentive to go to a club on New Year's Eve? Nothing I can do at a club is available to me that I can't do at home. Yeah, I mean, dancing. I could dance at home. Turn the damn music <laughs> okay. on. All, right. all my All my liquor's free. All my food's free. And I don't have to listen to people uh, make stupid conversation. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. You give us four different options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. By the way, from the 314, Applebee's at Times Square is $800 per person when you go on New Year's Eve. Feeling good in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, one's got to go holiday edition, New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, or Labor Day. Alex, which one's got to go? Honestly, it's a tie for Labor Day and St. Patrick's Day. I think both are pointless. Oh, one of them Um, you get to drink, though. I can drink any day of the week, man. But you get to drink green beer. Uh, Yeah, but I get to drink seltzers on Labor Day. Good point. And Labor Day and seltzers. So, basically, I just did my own problem solving. See you, St. Paddy's. I would probably go Labor Day. Labor Day is the one that's got to go. I did do St. Patty's Day. Although, to be Day. fair, like, Kara's not super into Valentine's Day. It's not something that really, like, means much to her. Yeah. So, I understand. Katie loves it, so that's why we I got no problem. Anybody that likes it, hey, man, it's a cool day. Like, you celebrate yourself and your wife. I try to do that every day, so that's where I'm a little different. There's a, um. there's a, there's a pompous <laughs> look. I tell my wife I love her every day of the week, not just Valentine's exactly, Day. Exactly, exactly. So, we try to gift the the... the the love that we have, the admiration that we have for one another on a day-in, day-out basis instead of just, you know, focusing on one day in the middle of February. ladies and gentlemen. It's like Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift over here. We all want to be. I would actually probably say Valentine's Day. Uh, Labor Day, I could do seltzer. St. Paddy's Day. Although I did used to, uh, if any of Missouri S&T alums are listening, (laughs) uh, my buddy went there, and I did party at St. Paddy's Day with him a couple of years, and 
Let me tell you, you all know how to do St. Paddy's Day right. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. One's got to go pet edition. A dog, a snake, a hamster, or a cat. Uh, I want to hear Bradford's answer to this one as well. You had to throw cat into there, didn't you? Because snake is what has to go here. I don't need a, a pet making me regret the decision of buying it because I'm unsure of where it is. So that one's for me. Bradford? It's the snake, no doubt about it. I actually want to live long enough to be able to enjoy a pet or two. I'm not a cat person per se, but get the snake out of here. It's not even remotely close in this department, guys. Not All even close. Three of them. All three of them suck. Like hamsters are just rodents. I don't need that in my house. Don't need the snake, which, you know, most, most times when people die in their house, it's because the snake, like, killed them. And then cats are... Cats are jerks, Mike Ryder, if you're listening. I have no interest in having a cat. I have less interest in having a snake. I don't know why anybody would want a snake in their life. I don't get it. I just don't understand it. Um, I have somebody that is a friend of a friend that has a, a dragon in their life. Um, a dragon? Mm-hmm. You know dragons aren't real, man. No, right? it's a mini dragon. Uh, it's a lizard. Um, say, so Dragons aren't real, man. That I, I also don't totally understand either. Uh, you just look at them all day long. Yeah, any animal that's like a fish. I, I, See, I don't I, understand why people. You know have what? Fish. I'm talking out of both sides of my sides of my mouth. If I had fu money, I would totally have an aquarium in my house. Oh, I would 100% too. hundred percent would have an aquarium. Be, but it wouldn't be a fish. I'd have like a freaking jellyfish in a in an aquarium. You'd have sharks. Oh yeah, sharks around. Absolutely, I'd I would have, have fish. Like, I'd have a jellyfish. I would Every- have a saltwater tank yeah ever ever since i saw the movie seven pounds with will smith and he had a jellyfish now spoiler alert he used the jellyfish to kill himself (laughs) um but the jellyfish in a tank in his house was awesome dark segment Uh, all right very dark. <laughs> yeah, this is but you know what? It really was a taking a no, turn. It was here. a movie. It was a good movie. Watch it. It's great. He's Alex Ferrario. That is Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll put a bow on this thing with our NFL weekend look ahead. Best game of the week, biggest upset of the week. What are you looking for this weekend in the NFL? We'll tell you next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's been a fantastic week. We missed T-Bone, but Bradford did a great job filling in. Grant Francis also did a spectacular job filling in for us. If you missed any of the shows this week, check them out on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com. The free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. They are they are all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, before we go into the weekend, we are doing what we do each and every week throughout the NFL season, which is our NFL weekend look ahead. We're going to tell you the game that you got to watch, the upset that we're going to see, the team with the most to gain and the team with the most to lose. We'll do that all before we get to the fast lane coming up at the top of the hour. Alex, let's start with the obvious. If you can only sit down in front of the television this weekend and watch one NFL game, what is the one that you are putting at the top of the pedestal? Cowboys and Lions, Saturday. I don't even care about Sunday games. New Year's Eve, I got other things to watch, but it's Cowboys and Lions because I think that is, as much as people are going to say Dolphins and Ravens, I'm not sure you're going to see the actual picture cool, there. Cool, 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 It's a stupid pick if people do it, so can't wait for BK's pick. Cowboys and Lions to me is more of a 
measuring stick to find out the top teams in the NFC. And I think that's going to be a fun matchup, especially because the Cowboys coming off of a loss. Yeah, I want to find out what those teams have coming off of last week, and especially with the Cowboys, as you mentioned, a, a really emotional game for them. Uh, they, they thought they had that 1-1, and then, of course, the Dolphins end up coming out ahead. But I'm going with the other one that the Dolphins are participating Stupid in. Stupid no pick. No Jalen Waddle for Miami. It sounds like the Ravens receiving core is banged up as well. We'll see what happens with Zay Flowers. Odell Beckham is banged up a little bit going into this one. The receiving options for both teams are depleted. What do you got? What do you got when the cards are down on the table? Both teams coming off of a huge physical, emotional win last week. I am fascinated to see what that looks like. The Ravens right now are a three-and-a-half-point home favorite in that one. That feels about right to me. I think I would take the Ravens in that game, though. Alex, if you had to pick one upset heading into the weekend, got to be at least a three-point underdog, because otherwise it's not really an upset. It's just a pick them. What would you go with as your upset of the weekend? I think I'm going to pick the Panthers over the Jaguars. I like I think, it. I think this is going to be the week that everybody realizes that Jacksonville's not any good and doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs. They'll probably still make the playoffs, but they're not doing anything with it. And I don't think Carolina's good, but I think Carolina's shown signs of life last week, and I think they could do that again against Jacksonville, especially on the road where Jacksonville's fat and happy thinking that they're going to be a playoff team, and Carolina's going to show them different. Explain to me why the Raiders are a three-and-a-half-point underdog on the road this weekend in Indianapolis. Does it make sense to you? Because nope. it doesn't make sense to me. I think those teams no. are... Aiden O'Connell, maybe? I think you can make an argument that the Raiders are actually better than the Colts. I don't think they're all that different, dissimilar, but I think they're pretty darn close. So give me the Raiders as a three-and-a-half-point underdog winning that game outright against the Colts. By the way, one of the games that I love that I didn't end up picking this week, I thought there were a decent number of uh, spreads that I really liked. I love the Houston Texans minus the four points this weekend against the Titans. I, I think the Titans get blitzed in that one. I think people are misremembering how good the Texans were with C.J. Stroud because we've seen them with Case Keenum over the last couple of weeks. Agreed. Uh, so that's that's another one that I would point to for the opposite. I, I like the Texans a lot. All right. The team with the most to gain heading into this weekend, Alex. They get a win, and you say, you know what? Kind of changed the way that I viewed them is who? Man, if you have one, go because I'm not sure. I think for me, the team with the most to gain this weekend would be the Lions. I agree. Because I've had some serious questions about whether or not the Lions can actually go on a run in the postseason. And the teams that they're going to have to beat in the postseason are pretty similar to the Dallas Cowboys. You look at their wins this year, the biggest win that they've had was week one against Kansas City. Otherwise, when they go up against legitimate contenders, it typically doesn't go great for them. So... I want to see what they've got in store against Dallas this weekend. This is really the last opportunity we're going to see of them against a contender. So the Lions, to me, going on the road, a place where Dallas has been fantastic so far this year, I think they're the team that has the most to gain with a win. Is it odd if I take Tampa Bay? No. Let me explain because, like, Tampa should beat the Saints. But if Tampa Bay goes out there and just destroys the Saints, I think that at least gains people believing that the Buccaneers could be a team that does damage. If Baker Mayfield goes up against New Orleans, albeit it's not a great defense, but it's a team that at least is respectable, I think if Tampa could go out there and put up some points and look like a legit contender, I think people might start taking them a little bit more respectful in the NFL. Last thing here, the team with the most to lose going into this weekend is who? They lose up this weekend, and you say, you know what? I, I think it's over for them. I think it's a pretty obvious pick here. It's the Bills. Oh, interesting. I, I did not have them. I don't think the Bills lose here, but I, I think they lose a lot if – 
New England keeps it close. I think there are still some people that are convincing themselves. I heard Randy talk about this in the morning the other day, that the Chiefs can still find a way to get out of what is a relatively weak AFC. No, no chance. If it, I'm with you, but for those people that are holding out hope, if they lose this weekend at home against a Bengals team that has a banged-up at best Jamar Chase – a defense that has been among the five worst in the NFL for the majority of the season, a backup quarterback in Jake Browning. If that team beats you at home, yeah, it's done, man. I feel like I've been saying the that Chiefs are the weeks. team with the most to lose going into this weekend because this would be the final straw. This is it. If you once again do the same thing that we've seen from you over the last few weeks, it is over done gone no longer can anybody convince themselves that you are a team that should be uh reckoned with in the afc nobody yeah. can do that yeah uh, at least against buffalo they had a play at the very end it was close and you're going up against a legit team last week you had the excuse of the two touchdowns defensively for the raiders in a seven second stretch this week if it happens again we're done yeah we're not talking about them anymore. Yeah. They can just be sure, taken you, off into the sunset. You can live on hopium all you want, but I don't see it happening. And frankly, I see him losing again. And everyone be like, well, what's wrong with the Chiefs? He's Alex Ferrario. Bradford Bruns did a fantastic job for us back in the studio today. Thank you all so very much uh, for making us a part of your day, a part of your week, a part of your month. Alex, we got our ratings yesterday. Uh, I found out we were the top rated show on the station for the calendar year 2023 bleep off that's because of you guys it means a ton to us Look we do not uh we cannot thank you enough seriously Absolutely. because what we do is made possible by all of you Absolutely. so thank you for making us a part of your 2023 calendar year i hope you all have a wonderful new year we will talk to you as we bring in the new year next week recapping a couple of blues games some college football playoffs another week in the nfl it's going to be an awesome weekend of sports so enjoy it be safe out there thank you guys so much it means so much to us Absolutely. that you make us a part of your days we'll talk to you guys on tuesday here on 101 espn you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn